This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. The gang is gathered and we are totally focused on you today. On me. Not you looked you. at me when you said that. Well, yeah. I meant you, the general listening audience. Oh, the general you. Yeah. Not general you. General you. Great general. He is. He's very decorated. <laughs> general you. Boy, oh boy. What an election that uh, down to the wire in Pennsylvania. And? And uh, the Democrat is claiming victory, even though I don't think anyone has projected their victory yet. They haven't. Nobody's told them that they're the winner. But Connor, um, it's a nail biter in Pennsylvania. I think it's uh, Connor Lamb um, is the Democrat. Republican Rick Saccone are locked in a neck and neck battle to decide who will represent Pennsylvania's 18th congressional district for about nine months. Then uh, they'll run again. Then they'll run again. Actually, and. Two weeks, the district they're running for won't exist anymore, they say, because they, they yeah. redistrict. Yeah. And so both of them could actually run again in different districts for different House seats. Oh, wow. If they both choose to run in November. But this should have been like, Saccone should have just been able to run away with this. Theoretically. I mean, he won, uh, President Trump won that district by 20%. Or 20 points. Or 20 points. And uh, boy, but lamb came on like a a lamb. Lion. Like a lamb. It is March. In the slaughter. (laughs) I don't know. Yeah. It is. It's March. In in like a lamb, out like a, you know, however that works. Yeah, but he came in like a saccone and out like a lamb. So now they're waiting on all the absentee ballots. Which they started counting last night. you You can go lull yourself to sleep as the. Cable networks are like, there's 14 in this county and 400 here. They're counting. Who cares? There's, mm. there's some county, Tell Washington me. County, which is what it's coming down to. Washington County. And then if it comes between, if the final count is between, is within 0.5% yeah. of each other, then one of them can ask for a recount. It's not an automatic under Pennsylvania law. It's not an automatic recount. Yeah. You must request the. Now, let, let's be, let's all be very real about nonsense. this. Why does anybody care except the people that live in that district? Right. Except it's supposedly this bellwether, it's bellwether. district. Yeah. And it really isn't because or, it's a special election. Right. And a isn't lot of bellwether a boxer? Yeah. Wonderful boxer. Or is that Mayweather? Barry Barry Bellwether. It's it's Mayweather's brother. Oh, okay. From another mother. And so we really shouldn't care except it's it's supposedly just creating more drama about the future is it of President Trump? Because pe- if he are... can't even carry his own district, all the all the news well, agencies are like, then he's, he's out. He shouldn't be in here. It does look bad. He's gone out there twice. Yeah. He mentioned the guy for five minutes, and then he talked for two hours about himself. That was Saturday night. Sounded like a good meeting. <laughs> you know who else uh, finished his term? Finished his earthly term, I should say. Yeah. Stephen Hawking. That's sad. 76 years old. Don't you wonder. Is it though? If he hadn't, if he wasn't uh, stricken with ALS, what more would he maybe have accomplished? I know, right? What what are we missing out on? Apparently nothing because it doesn't affect your brain. 
Well, no, but and it does affect. To... But it affects your ability to communicate and to get. He had his computer voice. He was good. Well, but can you imagine which, which being should trapped? Have, should have had a British accent, I think. Oh, I don't know that your computer should have an accent. Can I think, I, let me mm. let me share one of his quotes. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned some of the. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the disability he had and some of the restrictions that he had physically. He says, however difficult life may seem, there is always something you can do and succeed at. It matters that you just don't give up. Yeah. That's right. And honestly, that's a hard, that's got to be one of the hardest diseases. He was never expected to live this long. Oh, usually people with ALS go quite rapidly. So he, he did an amazing thing. And... Uh, 76 is pretty young. I mean, you guys don't understand that, but... Well, the closer you get, the younger it is, yes. That's kind of a negative way to look at it. Well, no, but going from your point of view, absolutely. Huh? I understand where you're coming from. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest minds in, uh, you know, ever. Yeah. So I don't... I, I, it says here, it says the, his book was The Brief History of Time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the best sold. Catapulted him to fame with a stunning overview of how the universe came to be and how his work on black holes left an indelible imprint on the field of cosmology. Yeah, which, Jeff, is different than cosmetology. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. Didn't they make a, a song about it, Beauty School Dropout? I think, yeah, it was different. That was so, cosmo- cosmology cosmetolo- school? Cosmetology. Okay. He, he accomplished much in his time here. No, no doubt about For it. For sure. It's just you wonder if you could unleash that brain Which, without any yeah. hindering of the body. And he fought against this idea. Which idea? But I don't know. But you're proposing that he could have done more. He says, I'm doing so much. My, you know, my brain functions. Everything's fine. Oh, I am, no one's I am, questioning his brain. Functioning. I am limited. Well, you're saying you're saying that possibly he could have done more. And he well, he, he was always like, look at what I've done. Oh, sure. Sure. I, it, sure. It's possible that how with these physical handicaps that he may have worked even harder than he would have otherwise. It's possible. Yeah. Maybe he would have just been golfing. <laughs> yeah. That's the other side. Um how much time could he have wasted? He, he's worried about uh, the human race surviving. Mm-hmm. His big point is we got about 200 years Uh-oh. that are really scary. And if we don't figure out a few things in 200 years, we're not going to make it. But if we make it through those 200 years, we've got a long future. So we're in those 200 years right now. Yeah. Was he concerned about streaming video on the internet? Probably not. Hmm. Probably not wondering about the Marvel Comics world. Really? He yeah. should be. Probably used his brain for other things. Do you realize the next movie's going to have 67 heroes in it? Oh. Anyway. We only know of like 44 of them right now. And what happens when 67 heroes converge? Well, no. They're saying there's a few that are going to die. So which ones? Uh, All the ones that nobody cares about. No, like they're Falcon gonna... and, you know. Yeah. Oh, people love the Falcon. Really? He's well, pivotal. And the scrapbook guy. There was no scrapbook guy. The, the, the superhero. He scrapbooks. scrapbooks like lightning fast. It's crazy. The direct sale expert. <laughs> the MLM. The textured edges on his pictures with those, funk, you know, the funky scissors. Yeah. Yeah. He's really good at that. Um, so, okay. We lost Stephen Hawking. Philadelphia or Pennsylvania is still hanging on a chad. Let's get to the rest. Not. Let's get to the rest of the headlines, Terry. What else should we be paying attention to? National school walkout is scheduled to take place this morning at 10 a.m. across the country. 17 minutes honoring the 17 victims in Parkland. Another 
school walkout planned on April 20th, the 19th anniversary of Columbine, and a march in Washington on March 24th. Which 19 is the one, years. Yeah, the one organized yeah. by the kids in Florida. So, Oof. lots of walkouts, lots of school, my, my school districts. My kids asked for permission yesterday to walk out for 17 minutes. And? Sure. Why nope. not? Oh, that's right. In in your school district, I heard they had to get permission from their parents to do it. Just mm-hmm. make sure it's timed during science class. You don't need that stuff. It's it's like it's like seventeen minutes. Yeah, no. I think it's great. He's excited. Oh, good. I go. What are you walking out for? What do you say? To to support the child, the kids, the teens in Florida. Okay, just so it's they a know. Memorial. Seventeen minutes for them. Just do so it during the morning announcements. They don't fall into the trap of uh, adults who think kids are just you know wasting time getting out of class. No hmm. man. Kids need a break. Don't mess around. President Trump on Tuesday eagerly inspected eight towering prototypes for his long-sought wall at the U.S.-Mexico border and accused California of putting the entire nation at risk by refusing to take tough action against illegal immigration. Trump, making his first trip to California as president, said he preferred a fully concrete wall because it was the hardest to climb, but he noted that it needed to be see-through. I'm not sure how you huh? achieve both of those goals at the same time. He said the first thing, well, it needs to be see-through because drug dealers stand on one side of the wall and toss the 25-pound bag of drugs over the top of the wall. And if you're on the other side and you don't see it coming, you could get crushed. Give everybody wow. uh, Superman goggles. That way you could see through it. So Protecting it, people from drug dealers. That was his explanation. There also needs to be some holes in the wall so you can see through it. That's something that the Border Patrol is saying. I see you. They need to see what's over there, right? It, so it's is kind it of a, a weird, wall with holes in the it's wall? It's kind of a weird design. I'm not sure. The designs, he was, there are several prototypes they won't use because they can't see through them. Well, the so good news is he's on it. Yeah. It's a Swiss wall. He says the uh, first thing you noticed cheese. on the drive to the border was the patched up holes in the part of the existing fence. He goes, we have a lousy wall over here now, but at least it stops 90 to 95%, Trump said. When we put up the mm. real wall, we're going to stop 99%, maybe more than that. Trump's visit was greeted with peaceful protests by demonstrators on both sides of the issue and both sides of the wall. Mm. Oh, wow. Existing, which has a lot but of they, holes. But it's they, only... couldn't, they couldn't see each other, though. Well, no, they can because some of the wall is a fence. Okay. <sighs> wow. in, in that visit, Trump said that he wants to create a U.S. Space Force as he was speaking with service members at Marine Corps Air Station Miramar in San Diego, where some of this is taking place. My new national strategy for space reorganizes that space as a warfighting domain, just like land, air, and sea. We may even have a space force, Trump said. We're doing a tremendous amount of work in space, and I said maybe we need a new force. We'll call it the Space Force. Trump was Uh most likely referring to the National Defense Authorization Act, which signed into law December 12th, stipulates that the defense secretary established the executive part of the Department of the Air Force, a space corps. Space corps. Space corps. I I really believe I had a toy called Space Force. I'll have to go look. Really? I think I did. See, so you were thinking ahead of time. Right. Back in July, senior Air Force officials told CNN that the Corps was an unnecessary change in the Force's existing space efforts. <laughs> They're already kind of doing that. So Space Force. Space Force! It's kind of an odd thing as he's inspecting walls and talking to the Naval Air Station. Well, and, and, and terminating the Secretary of State. All in the same I way. mean, the Space Force thing's a really neat idea that I bet maybe we will need someday in the future. Sure. And we can have a bunch of people think about it. We also have a Secretary of State that we actually need today. And You're need terminated. To, and he's gone. Okay. Interesting on that, Tillerson wanted Trump to talk with North Korea. 
Trump adopts the North Korean idea of, like, okay, I'll go talk to them. Yeah. And then he fires his secretary of state, <laughs> nominates a new secretary of state. Who doesn't. Doesn't want us to talk to North Korea. Just pointed that out. <laughs> uh, family of Democratic National Committee staffer Seth Rich, who was killed in 2016, has filed a lawsuit against Fox News. And investigative reporter and one of the network's frequent guests over the story about Rich and allegations that he was involved in a conspiracy, according to the lawsuit. Rich was shot and killed in Washington, D.C. in July 2016. Police said he was shot several times in the back and later died at a local hospital. Rich was 27 years old, worked as a voter expansion data director for the DNC at the time. The May 16, 2017 Fox News article, which allegedly contained false and fabricated facts, according to the lawsuit, fueled conspiracy theories that Rich was murdered in connection with a massive WikiLeaks data dump of 20,000 DNC emails after his death. Ah. You remember this story at all? Yeah, a little bit. The lawsuit claims that Fox News uh, reporter uh, and then contributor Zimmerman and uh, Batowski are liable for the harm they caused uh, from the report because they aided and abetted in the intentional infliction of emotional distress caused by the story about Seth Rich. And he alleges that Fox News provided with a national platform to develop what the lawsuit dubs as a sham story. Wow. The Rich family claims that the defendants conducted what was extreme and outrageous in what they allege was a deliberate effort to portray Seth Rich as a criminal and traitor in the, to the United States. Uh, Batowski, the reporter, says Mr. and Mrs. Rich should come forward and be honest with people. He says, adding that he has reached out to them repeatedly to tell them what he claims to be the truth. Wow. So the reporter, the story Fox News posted was retracted. It says basically that Seth Rich was somehow involved in leaking all these emails to WikiLeaks. And then because of that, he was murdered by either the DNC, the CIA, the FBI, or... The Hillary Clinton campaign. Or all of the above. And so that ran for a while. Wow. Fox News pulled the story saying it doesn't meet our level of journalistic I mean, it, met it, it met it for a minute. About a week or two or so. And, and, and then, then they, they pulled, pulled it because it, it didn't meet it anymore. Now, certain shows on Fox News continued talking about it for another week or so and then finally backed off after the family called and said, could you please just back off talking about our son? He died. He's our son. You're making it worse. Don't mess with that. And it's fueled this conspiracy theory that's just kept going. Now the family's suing over. Have we recognized that this has all gone just too far? (laughs) It really has. Yeah. Some poor guy. Uh, Finally, a wrong number text had a a doubly heartwarming result last week. Oh, what? It all started when a woman named Sid, spelled S-Y-D, texted a picture of herself in a dress, apparently seeking advice, but not to the person she meant to send it to. Instead, she just, uh, instead of just ignoring it or telling her she had the wrong number, the man who received the text sent back a a picture of five kids smiling and giving thumbs up signs. Hmm. He said, I believe this message was intended for someone else. My wife isn't home, so I couldn't get her opinion, but the kids and I think you look stunning in your dress. You should definitely go with that one, the text exchange said. How cool. (laughs) Can you imagine? I mean, that could have gone to anyone else, and she could have been totally humiliated. Right. Mm. So it was revealed afterwards that Tony Wood of Missouri was the father who sent the kids' response. It was discovered that his wife wasn't home because she was with the couple's sixth child, at the hospital, the six-year-old is battling leukemia. Oh, man. So after the text story went viral, people started donating to the family's GoFundMe campaign. No way. They reached their $10,000 goal, and it just goes on from there. So See, he one did a good mistake turn, from and Sid turns into a, 
wonderful thing. To help out with their kid. Do you remember when Jeff used to ask us what he should wear every morning? Yeah. It was yes. really odd. Like, lots of was, tutus. I, mean, I have a hard enough time getting myself dressed, but mm. then Jeff's like, what about this? And we're like, no, it doesn't fit. <laughs> Too tight. <laughs> Too tight. You only wish you had the wardrobe that I had. So true. Anywho, um, two U.S. police helicopters were destroyed. Did you see this? No. Unbelievable. Uh, in California, at a California heliport, two police uh, helicopters, one was ready to take off, one was coming in to land. As it was landing, it was hovering, hovering. Uh-oh, got a little too close, and the rotor blades collided. Bam! Ooh. And just sent those two helicopters rocking. Uh, broke the tail rotor of one of them. A person fell out of one of the helicopters. Five people were injured. Nobody died. I think actually in the end six were sent to the hospital, but uh, no serious injuries. Oh, thank goodness. But it was a traumatic event. Oh, I don't think you'd ever get in a helicopter again. I won't even, yeah, no. I, I really wanted to go on a helicopter tour in Hawaii. No, I won't. It's because of helicopters that we're always we're, – we always duck – like whenever we're yeah. going on a ride, we always think we're going to hit our heads yeah. on the on the railing. Yeah. Whenever we're getting off a helicopter, you know, like it's a normal occurrence, we duck even though it's many, many feet above us, the propeller yeah. spinning. <laughs> it's kind of true. <sighs> you, um, that's, why, that's why I got rid of my helicopter. Yeah, probably a good idea. I'll, I'm going to keep the Porsche Carrera, though. Nothing he else gave there. it to you, huh? Yeah, in my dream he did. Okay. Still dreaming about it. You know what's funny? I dropped so many hints about he could just give it to me if he didn't need it. If you want like a massive tax write-off, yeah, you know, you could just give this to me. I mean, and if you're ever tired of it, just just give it to me. I'd love to take it, and uh, I don't know. He just never picked up on the signs. I yeah, I mean, it almost sounds like it's a burden for him to have this. Holy cow. Can you believe that? Scary. That scary helicopter crash. So luckily, everybody's okay. Everybody's okay. But um, it's just it's crazy. But uh, up next, we're going to be talking about, I think, a really interesting issue of language. And maybe the language you speak would be the key to resolving the Israeli-Arab conflict. Is it really just simply because we don't share a language that we can't see each other uh, in a more peaceful light? We'll talk about it straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show. You know, they say communication is the answer to every disagreement and argument. But what happens when two disagreeing parties speak two different languages? Doesn't it create even more problems? And and what happens when everyone else around them speaks different languages? Would that impact how we see the event that transpired? Would it impact how we process it and and, and, uh, can share some resolution on it? Well, here to speak with us about the power of uh, our language is uh, Dr. Stanley Dubinsky. He's a professor of linguistics at the University of South Carolina, and he's uh, recently been uh, written an article, Is Language Key to Resolving the Israeli-Arab Conflict? Stanley, thank you so much for being with us today. 
Hey, thank you for having me. Now, linguistics, I've always I've I've studied a lot about um a lot of things, but linguistics is one that's always uh, it seems like such a complicated issue for us, but there is so much power also in the ability to um to communicate. Talk to us about mm-hmm. how you think uh just language might be the actual cause maybe or the problem that keeps the Israeli Arab conflict going. Well, I you know, I, I should have I, I suppose titled the article with Harvey Starr is language a key to resolving the conflict. Yeah. Because it's not it's not the key. Um but I do think and we do think it, it is it is an essential key. Um and one of the reasons for this has to do with the fact that we use language to identify ourselves. And we use our language to make ourselves and to establish ourselves as different from other people. Um, we often group ourselves into dialect communities so that Southern Americans speak one dialect, African Americans speak a slightly re- a related but slightly different dialect. And, and if you go around our country, if you go around the United States, you'll find that people speak in different ways. And they cherish their own ways of speaking, of course, even when they can understand each other. Yeah. Um, so... When you get to the when you get to a situation in which people speak not only differently but speak in ways that in that don't enable them to even understand each other, that's when you get real problems and and the failure of um, the ability to share a language to participate in a language I think is what 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 makes or what what let's say it it keeps hostilities bubbling in some ways. Um, and, and Israel and, and is, is, a, is a primary and one of the uh, key places you can look at where mm-hmm. language plays a role in keeping the community separate. Because we, th- we think it's – you know, we tend to lead to the idea that it's just religious differences, but it, but it really is religious yeah. differences that are communicated or not, that are misunderstood, that are – and there's well, prejudice based on language. I mean well, all of this goes on. It's not even religious differences per se, and this is the interesting thing. Um, we we just uh, William Davies and I just just finished a book called Language Conflict and Language Rights. Um, the subtitle of the book is Ethnolinguistic Ethnolinguistic Perspectives on Human Conflict. And what the premise of the whole book is is that we're used to looking at conflicts in terms of religion. We're used to looking at conflicts in terms of um, economic conflicts, resource competition, all sorts of things, sometimes ideology, hmm. communism versus capitalism. Um, but what gets lost and not, or what at least doesn't get seen as clearly is some of the underlying ethnic differences between peoples that are based on their language. Um, so if you look at um, Kurds, for example, who are Sunni Muslims, and um, and Sunni Arabs in Syria or in Iraq, there's a conflict there, and it's because the Kurds are an ethnically and linguistically different people. If you go to Israel, you have the obvious divide between Arabic and Hebrew. Yeah. But you but the, but what's interesting about it is that the linguistic community in Israel divides much more finely than that. Even um, in southern Israel, uh, you have large groups of Arabic Arabs who speak what is commonly called as Bedouin Arabic. And those folks don't consider themselves as speakers of Palestinian Arabic, and they would not like to hear you call them Palestinian because they don't feel that they are. They feel that they're Bedouin. Um, in that regards, they're much more related ethnically and language-wise to the people, uh, the Bedouin in the Sinai Peninsula, yeah. the Bedouin in Jordan, the Bedouin on the eastern 
uh, I'm sorry, on the western uh, side of Saudi Arabia. Um, and there's, a, there's definitely an affinity, which is linguistic, for these different peoples. Um, I, I point to one thing, which, which, which is a wonderful survey that came out uh, only last February, but not, not this past, but February 2017. There was a Pew Global uh, Research Center st uh, study which asked the question, what does it take to be one of us? And it asked this question in all countries in Europe and, and Japan and Australia. And what was really interesting, what was kind of stunning about this, is that people overwhelmingly said that the ability to speak a national language, our national language, was more important to them as agreeing that somebody is a member of the national community than sharing customs and traditions, than sharing the same religion, or even being born there. Mm. Wow. So, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, the, the, and, it, and it's interesting because they, they actually controlled for political party affiliation, right-wing, left-wing, and across all parties, across all affiliations, across older and younger, it's just the case that, let's say, in the United States, uh, just to you know, pick one country that we know, um, being able to speak the national language was the important to 70% of those asked, um, sharing national customs and traditions was important to 45% of those asked, and being a Christian was only important to 32%. So interesting. Yeah. So language, language was the number one thing. I language mean, was yeah. the number one thing. If you can, if you can speak French native, uh, as a native speaker of France, of French, um, and you know, French people will consider you French. Right, yeah. And it doesn't matter if you were born there. And the same thing really applies here in the United States. If you encounter someone, regardless of the color of their skin, their ethnicity, their last name, if they speak English in a way that makes you feel that they are native speakers of English, you'll accept them as a national, as an American national. Well, you can almost – yeah, you, you can almost get into their heart a little bit more, it feels like. I lived in Argentina, mm -hmm. was fluent in Spanish, and I yeah. learned, man, they have a lot of – be, almost better words and ways to approach just the right. idea of love than in the English language. And Yeah, well, every language has its own, you know, every language has its own particular assets in terms of what's in their lexicon and what, what words they have to express their thoughts. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's a resource that people use and cherish, and um, it, it, it forms their identity. Mm. Now, if you get back to Israel, What's interesting to me is that, um, and this is something that we put into the article, Harvey Starr and I are actually taking this idea and running with it. We've, um, we've, we've established a, a, a consultancy called Conflict Analytics, hmm. in which we're trying to put forward, you know, to help other people, you know, people, whether they be businesses or, or government organizations or whatever, try to get to the root of the language side of the conflicts when they go into regions and they're looking at conflicts, because sometimes those conflicts could be economic. Sometimes they might be religious, but sometimes they're just going back to ethnicity. Um, so getting back to the Middle East, um, one of the interesting and unfortunate things about Israel is that very little attention was paid to bilingualism. So if you can hear somebody's language, if you can hear someone's language is something you recognize and something you can respond to and something you can communicate to them in, uh, you're going to have a better chance of engaging in normal relations with them. Um, and you know this, if you went to Argentina, yeah. you 
probably know that if you go into a Spanish-speaking neighborhood and if you can talk to people in Spanish, it's going to be a lot easier for you to get around. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's uh, one of the things that uh, that you're even trying to do then is create more bilingual uh, schools in, and even in um, I'm here I was reading in your article about yeah. in Israel the more they're they're trying to generate schools that speak right. both Hebrew and Arabic right. and then that might create a future relationship yep. or connection to these cultures. Well, that's the interesting thing that uh, it seems. Uh, these schools, these are bilingual immersion schools, and they're very interesting because they've been set up in such a way as to ha- try to have an equal number of Arabic-speaking and Hebrew-speaking children. Um, they usually have um, instruction bilingually. I went into one school where they would have a math or a science class with two teachers, an Arabic-speaking teacher and a Hebrew-speaking teacher, and the Arabic-speaking teacher would start the lesson and teach half of it, and the Hebrew-speaking teacher would pick up the second half and continue the lesson. It wow. wasn't like they were translating for each other. So the children, in order to learn in the classroom, had to be able to you know, move back and forth between languages with some facility. And, and it works. It works quite, quite well. Um, what's the, the result of that is that they are able in these, and these are only about, well, there may, maybe I'm going to say there's between half a dozen and nine schools in Israel that do this in various parts of the country. Um, and I visited three of them, and I know of two or three others. Um, and what I would say is, overall, they're very, very successful in building community. And, you know, and this goes back to this, you know, the, the title of the article, you know, is language a key to resolving the conflict? Well, yeah, because regardless of whatever solution people ultimately come to, whether it's a one-state solution, a two-state solution, or a nine-state solution, they're going to have to live with each other, right. and they're going to have to communicate with each other, and they're going to have to go to markets and going to have to exchange information. So whatever solution you like, language is going to play a key role in helping it to, you know, in helping it to work. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that's, that's interesting is that the, that the Israeli educational establishment apparently has taken some signals from what's been going on on the side with these bilingual schools, because um, up until a couple of years ago, um, Arabic-speaking children learned Hebrew in school starting in the third grade, um, which is okay. It could be better than the third grade. But Hebrew-speaking Israeli children didn't learn Arabic or even start Arabic until the seventh grade, and only, elect, only as an elective. Oh, wow. And, and this is a problem, because you have kids who get to be 12 years old before they even get, have any contact with the other language spoken in the country, the other official language, which is Arabic. And that's not going to get them to a point where they'll ever be able to be comfortable in that language. So as of last year, the Israeli educational ministry, which I thought was a, was a fantastic move, I wouldn't have predicted this, um, decided to make, uh, for Hebrew-speaking kids, started to make Arabic compulsory from first grade. That is... Which is a huge yeah, change. huge. And about time, right? Yeah, I mean... it's, it's overdue. It's, it's way overdue. Um, and I do think that that move will, will be enormously helpful in moving things forward. I mean, you want to be able to talk to your neighbor. Um, and more than that, it, it, even if you can't talk to your neighbor, you don't want to feel threatened by their language. Yeah. And, and we have these 
these things come up all the time. Uh, there was recently a, a news a news item. It was out of a I think it was a Starbucks in in California somewhere uh, in in, in um, central Northern California, where there was a woman who was in a cafe. I mean, she had some other problems, I think, but she was in a cafe, and there were some there were some uh, young people there speaking Korean, and she got very agitated and very upset. And she said, I want them to stop speaking their language. I don't like that language. Wow. She didn't understand it. Yeah. It wasn't hurting her. Nobody was talking to her. And she said such what would be considered to you and I maybe crazy things. She said, um, they can sit there quietly if they want, but, but don't, they shouldn't use their language. Interesting. <laughs> so it, you see this all the time. You see people do feel threatened yeah. when they hear a language they don't know. Um, you know well, my uh, kids yes. speak pig Latin. Or whatever, and the minute yeah, they start talking in out, Pig right? Latin, I'm like, "Hold yeah. it!" <laughs> yeah, because they're hiding something. Yeah, and and there's a and there's a and there's a, a historical suspicion of people who don't speak the same language. Um, you know, we know that 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 Japanese people were were strongly suspected in World War II in this country. Um, what's less well known is that in World War One, there were parts of the country where they forbade this people to speak German. Really. Yeah, in Iowa, they passed a law uh, in 1917 that forbade the use of German anywhere. They they closed down German classes. They burned German books. They forbade Germans from uh, from using German in their churches. I mean, there was paranoia. I, yeah. I mean, so the so when you you know, when you see paranoia in the in the 21st century, you know, I could turn the clock back a hundred years and find you the same kind of paranoia with just a different language attached to it. Which I guess it tells us for years we've known that language matters. Yes. If we have to shut it down and mm-hmm. we feel so afraid of it, then we know it has impact. Absolutely, absolutely. In in um, in World War II, uh, the in the Okinawan Islands, in the in the Ryukyu Islands, in southern you know in the southern parts of Japan, uh, they speak a, a what is essentially they spoke what was essentially a different language. So the Japanese considered it a dialect of Japanese, but it was a dialect that Japanese speakers didn't necessarily understand, and they were absolutely um, intolerant of. Okinawans speaking their own language. In fact, by the end of World War II, when the when the doors were closing on the Japanese Empire, um, it was a it was a capital crime to speak Okinawan because they they thought that people speaking Okinawan might be collaborating with the enemy. Oh boy! I mean, I, I guess part of this is mm-hmm. it, it, how do we bring it back to the United States? Um, I, the yeah. minute you know, like the minute I know Spanish now. Yeah, um, having a lot of uh, Mexican or Hispanics or mm-hmm. Central Americans coming to the United States doesn't scare me, and maybe it's because right. I know the language. Do we right. just need to keep broadening our language abilities, our horizon? Is that how we create a little bit more acceptance of others? I think I, I think that that that's part of it. I think that it, it it's silly for people in this country not to learn at least one other language and to learn it well. Yeah. Um, you know, I've told my colleagues here at the university that I, I don't consider uh, – most students, when they come to college, they take Spanish because right. Spanish is the most visible language for them. But the fact is, is as far as I can see, Spanish is not a foreign language. So, yeah. uh, so in my book, I don't think you should be able to fulfill a foreign language requirement it's, by learning Spanish. It's not think, foreign enough. No. I think you should learn Spanish 
to start with because it's a, it's, it's a minority language with 30-plus million speakers in the United States. And then you should also learn a foreign language. Mm-hmm. And you can pick Chinese or French or Spanish or Russian, not Spanish, but Russian or Arabic or whatever you like. But, um, but I do think that, that that knowledge of other languages is enormously, not just enriching, but it, it allows you to objectively see that it's not all about you and your own language. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Oh, and, and, and it opens up your mind to other concepts to other that ideas, you, you never had yeah, thought of. Mm-hmm. Other ways of seeing the world, other ways of pronouncing vowels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's as simple as that. Um, but it's interesting because I, you know, in my classes we talk about you know this issue, uh, which is which is front and center in the United States. It comes and goes, but it it's it's pretty um, it's pretty out there right now. Is the issue of you know should English be the official language of the United States? Right. And there are some states that have made it the official language. There are many states that haven't. Um, if you ask the average person, is English the official language of the United States, they wouldn't know that it isn't. Right. And the United States doesn't have an official language. Um, and what's interesting about that, to me, is the fact that it begs the question, what is the United States founded upon? In other words, what makes us special? Hmm. And I think one of the things that makes us special is the fact that anyone who speaks any language can come here and, if they choose to, become an American. Yeah. But you can't go to Argentina. You were there. Yeah. You cannot go to Argentina, no matter how long you live there, and become an Argentinian. Right. Even if you speak Spanish well. Even yeah, if you no. Citizen, you're not an Argentinian. You're always going to yep. be considered the American guy from—, from Yeah, you know, gringo. The the gringo from that that that's from America yeah. that's been here for twenty years. The Rubio, um, the blonde. They even call us right. the blonde. I'm the right. blonde, even though right. I have brown hair. <laughs> right. Yeah, but you're still Rubio yeah, because you're right. from from America. Right. So what's interesting about the United States is that you have to ask, and this is a this is a relevant question given the kind of immigration situations we have, is do people coming here, can people coming here be part of this nation? Um, regardless of the language they speak. And I would say yes. Yeah. And the reason I would say yes is because, because the nation is founded on certain principles. Uh, our Constitution, our Declaration of Independence, our Bill of Rights, and everything that we believe in and hold as sort of the core founding documents of this country are the principles um, that, we, that we say form our nation. And you can learn those principles in any language you like. You can learn them in Spanish. You could learn to read the. You could read the Constitution, Declaration of Independence in Spanish, and still and, and learn it quite well. Right. Right. Yeah. And 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 the and the comparison I, I point to when I when we talk about principles versus language is that for 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 um for faithful Christians they believe in the New Testament and the Gospels. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't believe that you need to read the Gospels in Aramaic. Right, exactly. You read them in whatever language it's translated into. Yeah. So if you have something which is founded on principles and ideas, and if you translate or transpose those principles and ideas to another language, you can still have those principles. And Interesting. Ideas. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. So, yeah. And so for me, you know, language is big. I mean, I think it's important for people to be able to function in the United States and to, and to know if enough, enough English to function but not to become a national. I think that, that it's far more important for them to um, want to participate and cherish the traditions, the, the principles upon which the country was founded than upon where they were born or what, or what language they decided to speak. Such, such great insight. Stanley, thank you so much. 
Stanley Dubinsky, um, a professor of linguistics at the University of South uh, Southern Cal- or South Carolina, and uh, really helping us understand what makes us who we are, what we are, our principles here in the United States, and then a language that we can share those principles, share those ideas, those insights. That's what brings us together. Also, languages in other places, though, can be the deciding factor of creating more peace even, even having the ability to create better symbolism with each other. Powerful stuff. We'll continue the journey, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll do a little Coach's Corner in just a minute. I'm ready to go in, Coach. Just give me a chance. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Welcome back. You know, um, one of the theories that I use a lot as uh, kind of more of a social psychologist is there's a theory called symbolic interaction theory, which suggests that uh, all of our symbols in life are created through interaction with the symbol, meaning none of us were born knowing inherently what anything means. We have to interact on its uh, on those symbols in order to create meaning for it. Uh, the example I always use is just a pen. A pen, when I was born, I didn't know what a pen was, but maybe when I was a year old, I somehow had a pen in my hand, maybe picked it up as my mom was writing a check at a store, and then that pen would be something I would interact with. And when I interact with it, it, it becomes, I mean, I might put it in my mouth, I might play with it, I might accidentally scrape myself, but however I interact with the pen determines if the pen is positive, negative, or neutral for me. And the problem is, if I continually interact with things in a negative way, then I continually create negative symbols. So in your world, if you have a lot of negative symbols, it's because you keep having negative interaction or you keep interpreting events and interactions in a negative way. And then all of a sudden the symbol becomes very negative. I see it very a lot of times with clients where symbols like children, discipline, um, family, marital intimacy, money, those are just symbols. But if couples fight about those issues regularly, then those symbols become more and more negative. So as Stanley Davinsky is talking to us about the power of communication and our language, the language would determine how you interact on certain uh, pieces of information. And think about the Arab-Israeli conflict. If they can't communicate as people very well and consistently and on every level of the country, then do you see how the symbols might be more naturally skewed to be negative? So there is no doubt that if we could speak better together, more effectively, if our languages uh, were more not united into one, but that we could understand each other's different languages, we probably could recreate and generate better meaning and better symbols. The same is true in your marriage. The same is true in your neighborhood. You want better meaning with other human beings, then we need to figure out how to understand their language. You want better meaning with your teenage kids? Then learn to speak their language. Well, that's just degrading. Well, then fine. There you have it. Then be impacted permanently by your inability to communicate to your child or your teen. 
you, you, you can't have it both ways. There is a point where if you want to influence other human beings, you have to be in their language. You have to be where they are. And once you can get where they are, some amazing things can happen. And your brain will start to change a little bit because you start to see the nuances of what they're doing. You start to see the power of it. Just uh, you want a fun activity? Instead of bemoaning and being so frustrated and angry by your kid's video game play, why don't you just go down and watch them play their game? Spend an hour or two watching your child play the video game. Watch how they interact with each other on the video game. And you will amazingly start to realize they're in a whole different world and that's a whole other language. And what's really amazing, you'll start to find some appreciation for it. By the way, if you can't, then open up even more. (laughs) Open up even more. Because there's something going on in video games. There's something going on on social media that that is somehow feeding our children and our lives. And if you want to have impact and power with people, you're going to have to understand their language and speak it instead of trying to convert everyone to your language. You know, it's just it's, – it's about how we are influenceable. In order to influence someone positively, we must first be influenced by them. That's where the power comes from, is knowing their language as well. Anyway, just a little Coach's Corner. Just my my idea. It's not perfect. We'll continue the journey more on the Matt Townsend Show. Straight ahead. Welcome back, friends. The program, Terry, again, researching like crazy. Terry, what have you found? A judge ruled on Monday that a New Hampshire woman who won a Powerball jackpot worth nearly $560 million can keep her identity private. Wow. So, well, yeah, why? But on. not her home. To, well, the way they make these, because a lot of they, they involve tax dollars or, you know, school funding, then it's public knowledge. So that knowledge, you have to show that the person's standing there with the novelty check and, it, you know, shows the follow through by the... the... She didn't want to be hassled by all her friends and family. Right. Well, they're saying she can keep her identity private, but not her hometown. And it has Mm. to do with the fact that when she signed the doc, she signed the the ticket or whatever it was, the paperwork, she put her name. If she would have put like, for instance, the name of a trust, then then her identity would be private, but she didn't know that till later, even though it said it in real small print Uh, on the ticket. Yes. So she can stay private, but her hometown, but at the same time, they can reveal the ticket. The ticket is public knowledge, and right on the ticket's her name. So Now you basically have the premise for the movie Waking Ned Divine, where somebody in the small Irish town has won the lottery, but they don't know who it is, so they spend this movie trying to figure out who it is. Come, uh, Come to find out, it's a guy that died. Yeah. So now they're trying to figure out a way to get to split it up among all the people in the village. <laughs> Again, uh, a movie idea that um, no one had thought of to to connect to this story, but you. It's a great movie. It's, it's great PG. Movie. Have you I seen I it? it? Yeah. So funny. A bunch of cute little old people scuff or like shuffling <laughs> the around. The, yeah. <laughs> it's awesome. Hey, good stuff. Uh, so remember, if you're going to sign your lotto ticket, you probably ought to just put your trust fund on it. Study your name if you don't want everybody showing up at your door. We'll continue the journey more straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show.
This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the program. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. And uh, we're watching... We're watching the headlines where students now, kids are walking out of school in protest to those uh, shootings and also in commemoration of the of the loss of 17 victims. Nationwide. Nationwide. The National School Walkout started Wednesday at 10 a.m. and will continue across the country at 10 a.m. in each time zone. My kids will be walking out as well. Now. I saw a discussion. With some schools are trying to figure out who's eligible to walk out. Huh? Because it, it starts dipping down into elementary schools, second graders, first graders. Why wouldn't you just let everybody No, no, the, the, they have to figure out who's eligible to walk out. <laughs> Sorry, you're a first grader? This is for second graders and up. But my brothers get to do it. Yeah. They don't know <laughs> if the, the younger kids comprehend what's going on. Yeah. And you may not want to scare them. Well, in in Florida, a a teenager went in and shot up other teenagers. Yeah, my kid has no idea that happened. But in first grade, we're going to walk out for something, and he'd he'd just go out and play. It wouldn't be something that means anything. So I don't know. You know, some parents are like pushing back, like my kid should go, and your kid's he's six years old. Does he know what's going on? If he does know what's going on, is that good for a six year old to know what's going on at that age? I asked my Uh, wife over the dinner table. I was like, "Should we tell our kids what happened?" She's like, "No, no, absolutely not." Well, I told you the story. I I was showing my my kids some uh, the news during the Houston floods during that hurricane. Yeah, that was and. All he talked about for a week, every t- it, it rained at our house. He goes, is it going to flood? No, 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 no. No, we're so, fine, so son. He's just, he jumped everything equated to we're so going to have our house flooded. If, so. there is a, if your son walks out today, it's, he's going to think it's because of the Houston floods. Well, he'll call it recess and uh, <laughs> be confused. <laughs> so true. It's, it really is, though. It's probably a great civics lesson as well it, for the high school kids, maybe the junior high kids. Mm-hmm. This is how you create movement. This is how you create change. You have to be involved. Or how you take a current event and apply it to a civics lesson in this is how our nation was founded on protest. And one of the, mm-hmm. Yeah, this might be the first time they've ever been able to actually connect civics lessons. They probably don't even call it civics anymore, do they? No, that would totally lose a kid. Yeah. Civics, he starts snoring in the back of the room. Civics? Ugh, I hate civics. But, you know, you talk about, say, like the Boston Tea Party. Yeah. This is it. And you can say, well, this is a protest. And then you, this is how it works, sort of. Mm-hmm. And granted, 17 minutes during school. But you kind of give them this experience. And you don't even have to call it a protest. You could just call it a gathering of support. Mm-hmm. Because th- that's the thing. Every school has to spin this differently. Right. And then there's like, can, stu- can teachers participate? Or do yeah. teachers have to remain neutral? Or how does this work? And can the teachers bring their guns to this? <laughs> Well, yeah, there's that. There's, there's that whole thing. Uh, anyway, that's going on nationwide. So if you're driving down the street and all of a sudden you see you know a bunch of kids gathering out front. Call the truancy cops because yeah. they're sloughing. I, w- I would call the truancy cops if they were you know at like a So Delicious or 7-Eleven or something. And you're going to be that old curmudgeon. The guy. Yeah. You're that guy. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Get off my lawn. That's Jeff. Do you do that, Jeff? Uh, oh, no. 
It's actually no, no, standing no. out our, there in your robe, I, your slippers. I don't take pride in our lawn right now, so. Yeah, you're okay with them stepping all yeah. over it. I always get very concerned when all the kids walk home from school every day, and a couple of them will make a little track through the yard. I'm like, hey, what are you doing? So we had kids. <laughs> we we moved into a home where there used to be teenagers, and so I think they had an arrangement. Our backyard neighbors had an arrangement with the previous owners that, oh, yeah, just walk through our backyard and into your – because. Our backyard goes to their fence, to their backyard. So we finally, my wife finally put up a lock on that gate because we would be in the backyard, you know, roasting marshmallows, and we would just have random kids walking through our backyard to get to this other house to do a shortcut. So Mm. we had enough. Yeah. Well, yeah, and you have a hot tub right there, too, so that's problematic. We were about to go out in the hot tub one time. My wife is in her bathing suit. And uh, one of the neighbor kids, we hear this knock at our back door, our sliding glass door. Yeah, we're shooting this YouTube video. Can we use your trampoline? It's like, all right, this has got to stop. <laughs> you need, you need, you need a fence. Yeah. Our neighbors or a dog, whichever. Uh, it's really weird. Almost uh, when we moved in, we didn't have very many fences around in our neighborhood, and now everybody around us has fenced their yard off. Mm-hmm. We've got it fenced. I don't know why. But we that's when we put the lock on. Yeah. Sorry. Sorry that happened to you. Um, hmm. Yeah. Sorry about that. Yeah. <laughs> I feel bad for you. So that's going on. Plus, um, the there's, I guess, Tillerson's still working. Well, he hasn't been. He's got till the 30th and... Yeah. and but he did delegate all of the responsibilities to his undersecretaries. Who was fired yesterday. Yeah. One of them was. Oh, another one was. So yesterday, a the the second his his like second immediately in second in command put out a statement saying that the the secretary of state has no idea why he was fired. He wasn't contacted. This he read it on Twitter basically, and uh, that guy was fired for making that statement. That happened about. Two or three hours after Tillerson was wow. found out on Twitter that he was fired, so it's just and so you have that happening. The when Hope Hicks, the former yeah. de, uh, deputy, or what, she was the communications director at the White House. That's when, when she, the White House lost hope. When she announced that she stepped down, Hicks. her number two also announced. So the White House isn't just losing the the the, the principal person in these positions; they're also losing the backup. The, yeah, but right. So it becomes harder once you start losing more and more of well, people it, that it, know how things work. You got to get everyone back. The White up to House, speed they're not and, losing these people; they're they're actually firing them. Well, yeah, but they have a deficit of talent at the moment. And they need to bring in people, and now you're losing not only the first level and the second level, but now you're dropping to who's left. Well, yeah. who are you using now? Well, now, yeah, now you're now you're to the unsigned free agents. That's right. Are those that, you know. They always have a, a hiccup in their game, so to speak. Okay. Wow. Wow. Uh, let's get to the headlines. That uh, worked well. Terry, what other things should we be paying attention to? A Mexican resident of a poor Tijuana slum in the shadows of eight prototypes of U.S. President Donald Trump's planned border wall called the project a waste of money and laughed at the idea that the slabs will stop any desperate immigrants. Uh, several locals called the, called Trump loco for thinking that spending billions of dollars on barriers would stop people determined to escape poverty and violence in Mexico and Central America. Loco. Trump made his first visit to California as president on Tuesday. He stopped in San Diego to visit the prototypes, was greeted by demonstrators on both sides of the border in the scrappy 
Rancho Escondido neighborhood on the Mexican side, protesters shouted over the line, we won't pay for your wall, in reference to Trump's <laughs> insistence that they should pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> also, the uh, the sheriff of that county in San Diego uh, warned residents to stay away from the uh, prototypes. Yay. You, you can't just go look at them. Those things could fall on you at They're any minute. They're off limits. <laughs> eight wall. Have you seen how yeah. they have them all lined up in the desert? They're just, just teetering the right there. Don't go near those. President Trump's high staff turnover rate was already a record-breaking months ago as the White House hemorrhaged high-ranking officials one after another. Uh, Tuesday, Secretary of State Tillerson became the latest official to fall, fired by Trump essentially over Twitter. A full 37 Trump-appointed staffers have resigned, been fired, or been reassigned since Trump took office, a higher rate than the five most recent presidents. Analysts from Brookings Institute found that as of last week, Trump's White House has endured a 43% turnover rate. The list of departed staffers is long, even longer, with the inclusion of pre-Trump staffers like former FBI Director James Comey and former Acting Attorney General Sally Yates. Uh, starting with Michael Flynn through the end of Stephen, uh, the Stephen Bannon era, all the way through Gary Cohn's departure last week, the list of the dozens of now former staffers is staggering. Among the top decision-making staffers, Trump's turnover rate is double that of President Reagan at this point, and Brookings found it's more than triple that of former President Barack Obama. Wow. And if you watch uh, Rachel Maddow, she has a graphic she keeps adding to, and it's now up to three columns of really small print as they're showing all the positions that were once held, then resigned or quit or reassigned. It's well, just the turnover such a, a churn. Especially because he's complained about how hard it is to staff his, his mm-hmm. people. And so he finally gets them in. And again, he was the advocate that picked every one of these. He loved every one of these. These were the greatest people on the face of the earth. He then pushed them through, and then he fired them a year later. So is it mismanagement? No, maybe they were just the greatest people on the earth for those positions at the time. At that specific time in history. Right. That's a great point. Like he will be the greatest president that we've ever had. At that time. At this time. Okay. The other side being... um, The only president we have at this time. (laughs) Some are speculating this is him resisting what, uh, say, John Kelly's trying to do by... But again, establishing order. No, but see, but here's the funny thing. Yeah. John Kelly's not the president. Well. The, the president actually hired John Kelly. Yeah. And, but he and, doesn't like the way he, he tries to manage tamp him, him down and manage yeah. him. He doesn't want to be managed. But again, the president hired Tillerson. He did. And then had to fire Tillerson. But he's a globalist. Yeah, the globalist Tillerson. Yeah. But then he hired Kelly. He did. And McMaster. Did. And fired him and fired him. He's and Sessions is probably honestly hmm. has crosshairs on his chest right now. That's sure, and he's next. Yeah, and the next, and but he's hired every one of these guys, every one of them. Yeah, he's interviewed him. Thought this is the person. Let's do it. You remember but when also, he interviewed Mitt Romney, supposed allegedly to be the Secretary yeah, but, of State? It was but, all a ploy. But the report was the Russians stopped that. So. Yeah, of course they did. But <laughs> he hires every one of these. But then the, he doesn't hire a Mitt Romney. No. But. He hires these other ones, and then he fires them a year later. He does. And then pretends like he's the victim of them. Well, yeah. <laughs> it just doesn't seem to make sense. No. And he's the it, president. If you had a Fortune 500 company that yeah. had a 43% turnover in the executive ranks... You'd be worried. It would tank your stock. Yeah. People would be like, there's no stability there. Why am I going to put my money into that? I mean, so. Cohen left. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of big dogs leaving. So... Hope we'll, Hicks. We'll, <laughs> Hope Hicks. 
We'll see where it goes. Lulled to sleep by the humming of their Texas-bound charter bus following a trip to Disney World, members of a high school band were jarred awake before dawn Tuesday when the rig ran off a highway and plunged Ugh. into a deep ravine. One person died, a dri- the driver of the van, and about three dozen others were hurt. Uh, three seriously, authorities said. Uh, Interstate 10 didn't reopen in both directions for about 10 hours after the accident occurred between Mobile, Alabama and Pensacola, Florida. The cause of the crash wasn't immediately known, but survivors from the uh, Channel View High School in Metro Houston described being asleep one moment and then tumbling oh, through the air the next. Imagine? Students used cell phones as lights to get out and grab blankets to help people outside. He said temperatures were in the 40s at the time of the wreck, which happened about 530 in the morning. I mean, you've been on those trips before, those high school long mm-hmm. road trips. Yeah. It, it's already a weird experience. It is. It's and odd. then the next thing you know, you wake up. They said everyone woke up piled on top of each other because this thing had gone like face down into this ravine and uh, legs flying everywhere, people everywhere piled on top of each other. Right. How crazy. Uh, and luckily only one person died. Just odd seeing the bus laying on its side about 40 feet off, down oh, off yeah. into a ravine. Just and nobody could get picture. to them. They all had to rappel down, so that must have taken forever to get people down to you. Right, and then you got to get the get it back out to get the One by one, in. they got to bring oh. each one out. Uh, finally, an information technology manager at the Florida Department of Citrus was arrested Tuesday on felony charges related to using department computers to create virtual currencies. They got the Citrus guy? The Citrus yeah. guy was wow. min- he was mining Bitcoin. Oh, boy. So Matthew McDermott, not that one, a different guy. He's 51, faces grand theft and official misconduct charges after his arrest by agents with the Florida Department of Law Enforcement which conducted the investigation. The department's Office of Inspector General initiated the uh, investigation earlier this year when an audit uncovered McDermott had purchased 24 computer graphics cards at more than $22,000 between July and December. Uh, He used the department credit card, which is how they saw the purchase. Oh, yeah. Uh, The Inspector General also found that the department's electric bills had increased by 41% between October and January. Is that what? Is that him just running his <laughs> it's a Bitcoin, Bitcoin money. Nearly eight hundred an eight hundred twenty five dollar increase in the electric bill. Right. <laughs> Investigators learned that McDermott was part of a virtual currency mining pool and had been accessing a currency exchange from multiple computers in the Citrus department. Virtual currencies are created or mined using mathematical equations, and the computer processes uh, processing uses a lot of electricity. Bitcoin is currently trading for about nine thousand a coin. Wow. It was at 20000 and people were like putting mortgages and getting their houses in Yeah. Google announced Wednesday that it will follow Facebook and ban ads on their uh, platforms promoting cryptocurrencies. I remember my grandma always said, be wary of people that deal in citrus. Mm. Really? She said mm-hmm. that? Yeah. So she... I think it's the, the, you know, the acidic. Yeah. The acidicness. Was she... The acid. The acidity? The acidity. There we go. Was she? Um, she was. She was. An, she was an anti-citrite. She was bitter. Yeah, she was. Uh, in a loving, I say that in the best way possible. I say it in a punny way. Yeah, it was hilariously punny. Um, <laughs> that was a delayed reaction for my joke. They weren't laughing at what you just said. I thought. I thought that was more about my joke. No. So you said a joke. Anywho. 
We're done with your grandma. <laughs> Let's get uh, to the empty news headlines. Jeffrey, what, what other news out there uh, do we need to know that maybe we didn't need to know? Well, uh, we've got trouble. Right, right here, here in River City. Right here in Nebraska, actually. Oh, okay. A Nebraska man with trouble as his middle name has ended up in trouble. Oh, we got him. Yeah. We got trouble. Lincoln police arrested Rodney Trouble Phillips, 33, for burglary shortly before midnight Tuesday. Oh, there's trouble. Police said a 56-year-old man waved down a passing ambulance and reported that he was with three acquaintances when Phillips told him to hand over his jewelry. The victim says Phillips started punching him in the face, officers said, and Phillips took a ring and necklace from him. A short time later, a witness reported a man uh, was looking in car windows in the area. Phillips was located nearby and arrested. So he was trouble. Right. Now, the the real question is, was he... (sighs) Was he doomed to be trouble from the beginning because he was given that name as a middle name? Yes. Really? You've got to be careful. You think so, yeah. huh? That's why I would never name anybody give a, the middle name Liam. Why is that? I don't know. It just seems like trouble. Liam is associated with people that make millions of dollars. Mm. Like Liam Neeson. That's not who I was named after, but, you know. Yeah, you were named after the other Liam. Who's known for, you know, debauchery. Okay. So just uh, as we're going out here, here's one more story. A Maine man, not the Maine man, but a man from Maine, has been arrested for the second time in a year on charges he led police on a chase in a stolen U-Haul truck. A sheriff's deputy tried to stop a U-Haul driven at high speeds by 41-year-old William Wyman Sunday night. Police say Wyman and the stolen truck were later found. Authorities say the man had minor injuries and the vehicle sustained minor damage. Wyman faces multiple charges, including theft of a motor vehicle and failure to stop for a police officer. He was previously charged with eluding officers and reckless conduct after police say he crashed into two vehicles last Halloween while driving a stolen U-Haul truck before he was apprehended. So he clearly did not hear our PSA on eluding or evading the police. Right. While most people have run-ins with the law in some form or another, very few know how to react when confronted by police officers. And even fewer know how to successfully outrun the police when trying to avoid what could be a hefty prison sentence. Here are three tried-and-true ways to escape the authorities when going to jail just isn't an option, or when it's just really inconvenient. One. At all times, wear layers of different clothing, as well as a wig and perhaps some removable facial hair, because you never know when you'll need to flee on foot, and it's much easier to shed a disguise than to come up with a new one on the run. The gallons of sweat and irritated skin will be well worth it if you escape. 2. In addition to donning extra clothing, be sure to stuff your pockets full of canine treats. Because when the officers can't keep up, they're sure to sick the dogs on you. And if you have the room, why not include a ham bone or a jar of peanut butter? 
The ham bone will taste better than you, and the peanut butter will keep the dog's tongues busy for several minutes. And three, if all else fails, you can always rely on the time-honored rule of timeout. Calling timeout gives you a chance to take a breather, as well as provide you with an opportunity to formulate a new plan. But remember, when you're ready to resume the chase, make sure to call time in. This message brought to you by the book Rules of Civility and Decent Behavior While Evading the Police. What makes a superhero? Is it size or strength? Maybe it's brains? On the other hand, an overexposure to gamma radiation can turn you into a green rage monster. Superheroes take on mythical demeanor, which, uh, you know, can help some feel like they want to emulate these people. But uh, in the end, these superheroes can also teach us a lot of uh, extraordinary things. Our guest today, Madeline Sherrick, is a a Ph.D. in comparative education and joins us um, to talk about a new children's book uh, she's putting out called Superheroes Club. Uh, Dr. Madeline Sherrick, thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to talk about something that I feel very passionate about. It's, I think it's such a fun idea and, and a great way to teach our kids. Talk about your inspiration. Where did the inspiration for you to write a book on superheroes that, that can teach other healthy principles to kids? Where did that come from? Well, first of all, I've been in education a long time, and I've always seen the world through the lens of a child, and I ask myself, what is it that I can do that can expose them to things in a positive way? And I also have 10 grandchildren, and um, you know that, that when you're so involved in their lives and in education, you want to make sure that uh, they have positive uh, influences in their lives. And, and this particular story came out of an experience with one of my granddaughters. When she was in preschool, she was in a class that Uh, half the kids were typically developing and half the class were um, special needs. Mm. And she befriended a little girl who didn't speak. And Lily, who's one of the main characters in the story, who is my granddaughter, she just befriended her. And it didn't matter because Lily spoke enough for the both of them. But she figured out a way to communicate. They played together. They enjoyed each other's company. And it didn't matter that she was different. And it just made me realize that there really is that innate goodness um, in young children. And I just wanted to do something that would nurture that, encourage it, and and celebrate it. Mm, That is beautiful. And really, there's so much power in what we can all learn from uh, our children and our grandchildren. Maybe it ought not be a child, a children's book. Maybe it needs to be an adult book as well. Well, the truth is, it's interesting that you say that, because the more and more I look into these characters and and think about what messages they give us, I realize that there are messages there and, and values that that uh, middle schoolers and adults and um, all of us can can appreciate and talk about on different levels. Yeah, this series, um, it's it's not you, it's the superheroes club, but isn't it a series of going to be three books? Yes, this one is superheroes club, and it introduces the characters and, and gives us very specific um, ideas of what their values are and, and who and what they represent in terms of real kids. The second one 
follows along those lines, and that one is called Superheroes Club 2, A Celebration of Uniqueness, where it adds four more characters, and each one of them is special in their own way. Hmm. And the third book uh, kind of wraps it all together, and it's called Superheroes Club, um, A Sharing and Caring Community. And the ultimate goal is what I would like to see is all these superheroes club clubs sprouting out um, in schools and in communities. Oh, how beautiful. And then, um, so you'd like to see it actually turn into clubs in schools and communities, and and I guess they would then practice these skills that that you're teaching them, empathy, uh, they would help with anti-bullying. What are the other principles that you're teaching throughout the book? Well, let me me turn it around and just talk about the characters, because each of those characters actually does address Mm. different kinds of issues. Great. So... We talk about the Lily character, for example, and and she walks around and dances in the book and she sings, I am me, I like me, that's who I am. And she's that young child who is confident and resilient, and she wakes up happy every day. And I think one of the discussions parents and educators have to have is how many kids wake up that way and how many kids don't. So what are the what are some of the emotional things that kids go through that we have to look for and then deal with? Hmm. Um, the second character is Alex, who has autism spectrum disorder, and uh, the number of children who are on the spectrum has risen so in in, in the past decade, and yet they're mainstreamed in classes, and we have to, and kids have to learn how to appreciate those differences in kids, and he just wants to belong, and how do we make sure that all kids feel included, and how we can make sure that our relationships bring out the best in us, and uh, the Mia character is the one who falls down and gets up on that balance beam. And there it's an issue of how many times do we fall before we get up and are successful and about perseverance and that um, failure and success needs to be defined in society. Is failure not being able to do something or just not trying? And to me, the discussion is, you know what, if you try your best, you've been successful. Man, those are beautiful. Yeah, and then the last character is Joaquin, and he's that young man who, for whom the world is good. He's happy and life is good, but he doesn't realize that life may not be as good for everyone around him. And Lily needs to make him aware that perhaps he needs to, to look outside himself and see what can he do to help someone around him. And each one of these, it sounds like, would just create a dialogue, a powerful opportunity for parents and kids to communicate. Talk about these issues. Yeah, there's no question about it. And um, what I try to tell parents and grandparents is that this is a template. And it's, it's something that you can use to discuss all of these issues plus others because the kids are so characteristic of kids you see in school there. You know, when I talk to parents, they'll say, oh, I've got a lily. I've got a Joaquin. I know an Alex. I know my child struggles the way Mia did on that balance beam. So it is all about the characters and the stories that they tell and being able to relate it to your own child. In the uh, the article I read um, that heroes don't need to wear capes, uh, one of the points that or things you brought up is the fact that you had to eventually you got the book to three thousand words, then you had to get it down to a thousand words. 
Um, how, first of all, how do you do that? And um, and I guess too, in the end, the lessons might you had to lose words, but you you actually probably just created a more rich metaphor. Yeah, what it is is about uh, taking out some of the descriptions and just focusing in on the key words that say what you want to say. Hmm. No different than, you know, as I said, Lily goes around singing, I am me, I like me, that's who I am. I don't have to describe she's, she's resilient, she's yeah. confident, she's just saying those words. And then, of course, my illustrator brought um, those characters to life, and through the illustrations, you can see some of those um, interactions with, with kids. You know, there's a page there where um, Joaquin asks about what you can do and what's going on in school. And and, um, one of the things uh, Lily says is that kids get bullied at school and kids uh, are sad because they eat lunch alone. And um, so on those pages, she made illustrations that actually bring out those emotional feelings that kids have. So I didn't need the words because right. the pictures told the story. Yeah. Madeline, did you think that this is what you would be doing at this stage of your career? Or did this just kind of sneak up on you and you, you just saw a great opportunity? It's probably a combination of both. I, I know that I want my, to bring my message out. So you bring your message out in a lot of different ways. Uh, Obviously, it was initially in the classroom, so I taught for many years. Now I'm on staff at Pepperdine, and I supervise student teachers, so I'm able to influence the next generation of young people. And um, my husband was in the entertainment business, so I always said I wanted to tell stories. Hmm. So I did, I did go into uh, filmmaking, yeah. and uh, this almost was a natural thing. I had time. I had stories to tell. And I just started writing. And uh, as, as I said before, most of my inspiration for a lot of these stories came out of my own grandchildren because they're, they're in the classroom now. They're growing up and they're facing the challenges that so many young people are. What, what do you think we should be doing as parents and grandparents um, and just adults around these really uh, fragile, in a way, children, but so resilient and powerful kids? What, what should we be doing to make sure we're finding these little messages in life and taking the time to help there? Well, I think there's no question we have to get back to communicating with our kids. We need to be present in our kids' lives. And when I say present, I mean put the phone down and actually have discussions. Create, create situations where you're with them, even carpooling. You know, the best thing that I found even when my own kids were growing up is that invite kids to your house and feed them mm. and let them sit at the table and do their homework and just be kind of a fly on the wall. Kids will talk about anything in front of adults as long as they don't uh, think that you're actually having or being part of that conversation. And it's just listening and watching to see how their behaviors change and what their concerns are. And of course, exposing them to material like the book and others. There are so many, so many wonderful um, authors out there and, and, and children's programming that, that parents need to look to, um, community centers, just exposing them to the world and discussing a lot of these issues. 
Yeah, that's you can. I can see how this could even turn. This whole thing could turn into this club idea that you were hoping for. I mean, instead of just a play group, what if you turned it into a superheroes club and um, and then started, you know, adopting or picking up more principles, more lessons that we could all share, and then turn in our lessons and start creating a community of this. There's no question about it. There is actually one superheroes club. Lily and her mom formed a superheroes club, and what they've been trying to do is once a month do something in the community. Oh, that's great. And I think it, it, is, it is, to me, um, a movement, and I hope it will grow, that it's, it's starting small, and then, you know, it just takes one, and then another one, and then another one. Uh, too many times we we think of systemic change. We want to change the world. Well, those are lofty goals, but but we really can't change the bigger world. All we can do is change what's going on in our lives, in our communities, and you hope that that becomes infectious and that other people get on that bandwagon. And if you can change one person's life in your school, in your community, you've done a great service. So, so true. Well, you're doing it. You're making it happen. Dr. Madeline Sherrick, thank you so much for your insight and just your willingness to to take all these life lessons and your skills as a producer even and producing something that we could all uh, benefit from. It is about the conversations, folks. It's about connecting to your children one-on-one and uh, tying those lessons of life into uh, into your, your dialogue, your conversations with them. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Again, the name of the series is called Superheroes Club. Google it. Dr. Madeline Sherrick is the author of it. Uh, again, who is currently on staff at Pepperdine University in Malibu, California, where she is a field supervisor of student teachers in their teacher education program. We will continue the journey and do a little Coach's Corner up next. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball! Play ball! Hey, folks. Uh, welcome back. You know, we've been talking with uh, Dr. Madeline Sherrick about her book, um, Superheroes Club, and her goal really is to just get this dialogue started with our children. There there really are a lot of things, I, th- I think, that we could be doing to influence our children to be maybe more tolerant, more open, uh, less judgmental. We We have a lot of issues that um that are out there it doesn't mean that we need to you know in you know motivate them to go be a great you know politician or get engaged in every movement and opportunity out there but today the kids are out they're out doing a little march or a little protest not a protest but really some are just doing it my son didn't even know everything that had gone on in florida but he realized that they're they need support. Kids need support. And so one of the things that I would recommend, I guess, to all of us is to see what we can do while we're talking with our children about what's going on in the world to see if we can't teach our children to be a little more tolerant and a, and a lot more of a, of peacemakers, not where you just have to stick your head in the sand and, and, and you know, accept peace, but promote peace, 
find other ways to be more inclusive. So some tools that uh, I would suggest that we all kind of look at to help our kids. Uh, Number one, broaden our pool of understanding. A lot of us, we talked about it in the first hour, just the simple power of our language and having, um, because I'm bilingual and under, and am fluent in Spanish, it, it changes your brain. It changes how I relate to people from other cultures simply because I appreciate deeply um, the Spanish language and, and that culture. It doesn't mean I understand it. It doesn't mean I get it. It doesn't mean I am uh, – would just automatically be brought into the culture. But it does mean because I've studied it and lived abroad, I've been able to, to have a different point of view. And there are a lot of different points of view out there. Uh, our earlier guest was talking about the fact that if we just um, could make sure that we in Israel, that Hebrew and Arabic were both um, languages that were being taught, wouldn't that in and of itself improve our ability to understand each other and communicate to find real solutions? So broaden our pool of understanding. Give your children more opportunities. Seek out more opportunities of of diversity in every in every single way, cultural uh, diversity, religious diversity, um, ethnic diversity, gather data from other people. Give your child the opportunity to experience children with with other special needs or um, other issues so that they can broaden their horizon. There is a reason this younger generation is much more open-minded than even the generation before it, and some of that is simply um, they're experiencing it more. Another idea that might help us be more tolerant and raise more tolerant kids is let's all avoid being overly simplistic, sensational, or sensitive. A lot of us oversimplify everything. We make it good or bad, right or wrong, black or white, up or down, guns or no. And the reality is, as we've talked about on the show so many times, it's much more complicated than just black or white. Also, let's be careful that we don't sensationalize everything. Everything that glitters is not gold, folks, and we probably need to not only just teach our kids that, but make sure that we're not paying, um, we're not, we're not getting too sucked in to all the sensational headlines and the, uh, you know, the latest, most sensational thing of the day. Watch out for that. Another goal is sen- is make sure that just because you're sensitive to an issue doesn't mean um, I have to be sensitive to it. We can be too sensitive to certain things, and um, sometimes that, I think, creates an, an experience where none of us uh, can feel safe doing anything anymore because everybody's sensitive to something. I can worry about your sensitivities. I can also make sure that I don't become so sensitive that I'm incapable of seeing the world from another frame of view. Uh, avoid the online pile-on is the thing I try to teach my kids. If if they see stuff going on on social media, don't jump in. Don't just pile on. Don't just be another voice against. First, think it through. Understand your position and make a really effective case for your position. Uh, I had somebody talking the other day that I, I heard them talking about the fact that um, their wife does kind of get involved in a lot of social media you know, issues where she's sensitive to certain things. But what she does is she goes slowly about um, writing her position, and she writes it in such a way that it actually is additive to the conversation. It's not a pile-on. It's additive. 
and um, she makes a case with data and support, and it actually elevates the conversation. So if you want to be involved in the social media, I teach my kids, then be involved, but be additive. Be bringing something to the equation. Don't just pile on. Don't just jump in. Don't just spew negative stereotypes or prejudice. Jump in and actually bring some light to the discussion. Bring something new that others wouldn't think about. And um, that way your conversation and your piece of the conversation is is helpful. Another powerful thing I think that helps intolerance is um, let our values and our principles actually appear in our talk. So if you want your children to be tolerant, then you've got to be talking about tolerance. And you've got to be talking about your principles, whether it's fairness, whether it's decency, respect. But if you believe in those things, if you believe in loving your neighbors, then let's make it be more than just a concept. Let's make it become part of our dialogue and description. I can't tell you how many times with uh, people, as I'm as I'm working with couples, for example, that have conflict, they they're how they manage the conflict is in no way tied to their values, to the principles that they espouse. Over and over, they people come in and tell me how you know they were married in a church, they were married in a temple, they were married in a synagogue, and yet their church, their synagogue, and their temple never seem to be appear when they're actually in their conflict. If we want people to believe what we say, then let's see if we couldn't integrate more of our values into and our principles into how we talk. So it, it's going to be hard for your kids to know what to stand for if they don't know what the values are and the principles are. So talk more about it. And that work that by uh, Dr. Madeline Sherrick in her book – um, Superheroes Club. It's it's about talking about your principles and sharing your principles and then telling your kids, this is what we believe in. This is why we do what we do. Um, and what's powerful about this is once you've laid down those principles, then every single issue that comes up, whether it's shootings in Florida or immigration issues or um, you know the latest political discovery, or why mom or dad's a Republican or a Democrat. Each one of those conversations could come down to our principles, not our positions on any of those issues. There's got to be principles at play here. And how powerful would it be to hand down to your children the idea that principles are alive in our family, guys? Principles govern how we react to each other, how we interact with each other. And uh, then all of a sudden, you've you've probably handed down something that will be invaluable and um, hopeful to your kids. Last but not least, if you want to create tolerance with your conversations with your children, build bridges that um, that you can build on. Defer to uh, to go face to face, look eye to eye, and and figure out where can we start to build a bridge on certain issues. You don't need to finalize the bridge, but if you can see a place where we could take two different shores on different sides of a river and start to build a bridge between the two, let's start doing that. If you can see a way that you can actually create a bridge between uh, immigration issues by appreciating immigrants and by supporting security 
If you find a place where that can happen, start building the bridge there. We need more people to be building bridges, and we also need, I think, each and every one of us to be willing to cross some of those bridges and and be willing to go to both sides and understand both sides of the issue. Many times we just we're staring across the river at each other with a completely different view on the other side of the river, but because we've never walked on the other side of the river, we don't ever understand it. And instead of just running to one side of the river or the other side of the river, we need people that can understand both sides of the issues to communicate what they know. I, I see it all the time with uh, LGBT issues where some people don't understand it. And instead of being frustrated or angry that some people don't understand the LGBT issue or others that just do not understand um, the whatever, the Christian view of LGBT issues, um, we, we don't – I don't need the polarization there. What I need is somebody that is a Christian LGBT uh, person that can talk both sides of the issue and help us all start to bridge some of this, understand some of this. That's why there's power when we've had these experiences in our lives with whatever the issue, with whether it's religious freedom issues, whether it's LGBT rights, when we can converge and bring these together – There's power in how we can solve that. And instead of always polarizing everything, there is power if we could actually take the the same issue and not polarize it but bring us into one conversation with each other that's informed. If you've been able to bridge things before, please help the rest of us bridge them now. That's how you create tolerance. Again, let your values do the talking. Avoid the online pile-on. Avoid being overly simplistic, sensational, or sensitive and broaden your pool of understanding. And if you have built a bridge, if you understand where there are bridges that can be built between differing opinions, will you please start building those bridges? It's just another thing that we all need as humans here on this earth. Powerful stuff, folks. Uh, Tolerance. It's really what life is about, I think, is understanding that we are all in this same journey together, and we're all just trying to get through it with... uh, with more love, hopefully. We'll continue the journey more straight ahead. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you be the good in the world. That is the skipping music we use to skip right into uh, our empty news segment with Jeffrey Liam Simpson. What's up, Jeffrey? Well, we've been known from time to time to tell tales of bumbling uh, criminals. Yes. And uh, today we're going to continue that tradition here on MT News. So here's what happened. We, we've had stories today about people running away from the police and usually unsuccessfully, right? Yeah. Well... Two shoplifting suspects were running from the police. They scaled a fence to get away from officers and landed in a secure parking lot of a Phoenix area police station. Oops. Whoops. And then they were taken into custody. Officials say officers were called to a gas station for possible shoplifting at 6 p.m. Friday. Authorities say as officers arrived, the suspects, 28-year-old Marwan Al-Ebadi and 29-year-old Salma Haria, took off running. The pair ran along the side of a building and jumped a fence despite a sign for police above the door. You gotta, you really got to yeah. slow down and just read. Yeah. Just, it's just police. It's all about, you know, just like any realtor will tell you, it's all about location, location, location. <laughs> 
Uh, security video shows one of the men trying to hide under a bench before being placed under... Maybe they won't see me if I hide under this bench. Hide under the bench. Uh, the other climbed back over the fence and was arrested on the street. Boy. How what do you get these, out of that situation? These kids nowadays. Maybe they weren't kids. Yeah, it's all about uh, reading. You gotta, you gotta know what police, how to spell police, how to read, sp- read police, or you're going to end up in the pokey. That's what Grandma used to say. Well, giving you the information you need to stay out of the pokey. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you live longer, love stronger, and lead healthier lives. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, friends. Welcome back to the show. Dr. Matt here along with Jeff and Terry. Hour three of the love fest that we call the Matt Townsend Show. Every day, three hours of love. This takes you back, doesn't it? It does. This is chips. Two motorcycles. Sounds more like love boat than chips. No, this is this is them, right? This is them driving yeah. down the Pacific Coast Highway. Right. Hair blowing in the wind. Actually... Because they're wearing helmets. Uh, but they're just, yeah, this is good memories. And then they go park by the Pacific Cruise Line. Pacific Prince of, anyway. I don't know. This makes me think more of the love boat. Really? Yeah. They, they both had the same, like, 70s, like, flair. Yeah. This, this. Though I do think the Chips theme song was one of the best ones. Oh, yeah. They showed it in uh, uh, Planes. Uh-huh. Fire and Rescue. There was a little scene in there where they showed the, yeah. the, the they had a chips spoof, and I remember watching it and just kind of like you know watching a cartoon. Then they kick in with the theme, so I'm like, all right. And, oh, yeah. and then I look up, and one of the characters is kind of rocking side uh-huh. to side on the screen. I did the same thing. <laughs> did He's you my know the, favorite character now? Did you know the Love Boat had 250 episodes? Oh yeah, yeah. you got to oh, get yeah. into the syndication. How on earth? Did it last 250 episodes? They had special guest stars, and they'd come on and have oh, some love problem. Gosh. Well, and, I mean, th- don't look at it as by episode. Think about how many they trips that took. And it was took. Saturday nights, too. Oh, yeah. I used to watch it. I remember writing a church talk. Oh, wow. And I'm writing it on a little ca- uh, computer. No, no. It was a typewriter. Okay. Yeah. Back in the day. That word, yeah. I was typewriter. typing my cards for my three-minute speech. Hmm. And I had just watched, you know, The Love Boat. Yeah. And what was right on after The Love Boat, wasn't it Fantasy Island? Yep. Chips lasted 139 episodes. Deplane. 139. Yeah, but yep. here's the deal. I mean, are you kidding me? Eric Estrada. Right. And John, whatever his name was. That dude, yeah. It was just a great show. Fantasy Island. Deplane. Any guesses? Uh, I would say fewer, probably... Left fewer than a hundred episodes. Terry, fewer than Love Boat, more than Chips. Terry is right. A hundred fifty-two episodes. Oh, Bam! Really? Look at me. Yeah. Plus right, over two here. TV movies. Yeah. Yeah. It was a great. That's a. Uh, that's a show. I think that could come back. Sure. I mean, a tattoo wouldn't be there probably. No. Well, he he's passed on. Well, and I, I don't, yeah, he won't I don't know but, if Ricardo Montalban has passed on. But you, yeah, you, he's you, gone. But do you remember the little cool Jeep cars they had? Oh, yeah, those the are The red great. and white tops. Safari cars? Yeah. I mean, you, that they was, used those same ones in Jurassic right. Park? Yeah. Well, That's, no, but yeah. 
They, that would really be a good... I don't know why they haven't brought that back. Can you that imagine how show. different Jurassic Park would have been if it was like Fantasy Island? It kind of was. It was? Yeah, you had like, you had like an old guy that met you and took you in and showed you this land of fantasy. And... Wait, wasn't Fantasy Island... Wasn't there like a love boat element to it? Was it... Well, a you're romance? on you're on an island. They'd come in on a what, a, a boat plane. Yeah, a boat plane. Now, by the way, what was what was Mr. Rourke's famous? Is it Rourke? Is that his name? O'Rourke. Mr. Rourke. Something. What yeah. was his famous line as he would get everybody ready to to meet the guests? I thought it was the plane. No, that was tattoo. That was tattoo. Okay. The plane. The plane. What, what would he say? He had a thing. Places everyone. Oh, that's right. And they'd all take their place. It was that's a, show. a catchphrase. Uh-huh. Places everyone is hey, a catchphrase. It was the '80s. It was a simpler time. Boy, and he looked good in white. Yeah, lots of white. That's like I, a stage direction on Broadway. Well, yeah, because that's what they were doing. <laughs> this whole thing was staged. Hey, one other uh, thing we probably ought to uh, – what about us? What about – what if we all just wore white suits? No. I know where we can get white suits. I bet you you do. D.I.? Mr. Mac. Yeah. Okay. And you go and you can get white suits and and we wear white suits as a staff. No. No. Could we eat fried chicken while we do it? No, that would so. That's a whole other image. What? Yeah. Colonel Sanders did it wonderfully, by the way, yeah. as did Reba McIntyre recently. Okay, kind of ruined that. Yeah, mm-hmm. we were having fun with it for a minute. I'm right? sorry. Mm-hmm. Fried chicken ruins a conversation. Something well, that is never true. That's a great point. Um, kids are out. Students are are going out of class to protest. Uh, supposedly as a protest to gun violence, but also really to just spend uh, 17 minutes mm-hmm. honoring the lives of fellow classmates that died in Florida. And this is happening across the country, even here in River City. River City. Or Draper, where I live. Yeah. So um, powerful. I think I think it's a good lesson. I think it's a good lesson for everybody. We, we don't need to polarize everything. It doesn't have to just be a protest. Hmm. But that's what the news keeps calling it. Well, I, I just don't look at my. That's how it's or the origin of this is a protest. Right. But when a 12 year old kid knows nothing about anything, right. which is probably what, 85 <laughs> percent of the kids doing this, yeah. it's probably not a protest. No. That's just what the political leaders the, all want to call it. The adults that get involved when it should just, you know, the, yeah. the kids remember, you know, do this in memory of the kids that fell yeah. in Florida. Don't you think that if, if we said that every single time there's a shooting in a school, we will then have to take a break, go out on the property and have some moment of silence commemoration for mm-hmm. every student that dies, I will bet you there will be new legislation made. Well, at least because on, that's just going to mess up school years. Yeah, except it wouldn't be legislate legislation to fix the problem. It'd be legislation to stop kids from leaving class. Right, that's the problem. Yeah. But if, if all of a sudden this became habitual, where every single time there was a shooting, we would have to take a, a quarter of a day off to go commemorate or to talk about it. I'm going to bet it would start to create enough worry in people's hearts and minds that we might try to fix the problem. Mm. Well, and plus the school districts can't afford to have students out of school that long right? and I that know. frequently. So solve the bigger problem. Solve the bigger problem. Who does that sound like? Is that Bill Clinton? Yes, and I didn't even know I was channeling. Was that a catchphrase of his? Yep, solve the bigger problem. 
Uh, let's get to the rest of the headlines. Terry, what else do you have for us that we should be paying attention to? The third powerful nor'easter in two weeks slammed into the uh, northeast on Tuesday, bringing blizzard conditions and two feet of snow to some communities, oh. knocking out power to tens of thousands of homes and businesses. High winds, blowing snow led meteorologists to categorize the storm as a blizzard in parts of New England including Boston. By afternoon, power outages climbed to more than 250,000 just in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, and Connecticut. The storm was expected to last through most of Tuesday, disrupt road and air travel. Flight flight tracking site FlightAware reported that more than 1,500 canceled flights on Tuesday. Boston's Logan International Airport, the terminals were mostly empty with airport workers and cleaning crews outnumbering the passengers. Nearly two feet of snow were reported in parts of Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, Maine by Tuesday evening. Wow, in fact, so snow. Right now, I'm watching a video of Elsa <laughs> trying to free a, a Boston police truck <laughs> <laughs> from the snowbank. We'll be posting that later. That Elsa, and by Is, the way, guess what she was singing when she did that? Let it go. Let it snow. Oh, let it, let it go. Oh, I see. Oh wow. Yeah, At a, uh, that's what you need. Support from Elsa. <laughs> Special House election in Pennsylvania 18th congressional district was, among other things, a test of uh, political messaging going on through the 2018 midterms. It didn't go well for Republicans. Democrat uh, Connor Lamb declared victory early Wednesday. That's still in question. They're still counting votes. We'll see what happens. Though he held a lead of just under 700 votes, NBC News projected him the winner. AP wouldn't project anybody. Everyone sort of backs up like, hold on, we're going to wait on this one. So we'll see. Uh, Outside Republican groups dumped $10 million into the race to help uh, Rick Saccone, the Republican. But the GOP groups backed away from their signature tax cut law in the final days and weeks leading up to the campaign, focusing their ads instead on so-called sanctuary cities, immigrants, and MS-13. Yeah. So they were like, tax tax cuts, you know, look at the good thing we did. And then it wasn't moving... The numbers, so they, then they went to scaring everybody. MS-13. They're coming to kill your family. So they went to that messaging. And, uh, yeah, so they're, they're testing out messages for 2018. Yeah. Yeah. And they're like, okay, this one didn't work. Again, again, this is an election that really pretty much only matters to Pennsylvania. Right. And will, you but know. It's a microcosm, Matt. It's mm. going to be huge. This is sweep the nation. No, probably not. Democrats in the House Intelligence Committee announced Tuesday they plan to continue the committee's Russia investigation despite Republicans' plan to shut down the inquiry. Adam Schiff, the ranking uh, Democrat, this says Republican. That's wrong. He's a Democrat. Mm. He's the committee's top Democrat. It's funny. It says Republican, and the next word is he's the top Democrat. Uh, He released a 21-page report Tuesday detailing the key lines of inquiry that still require investigation. The press release from Schiff, his office, stated that the panel's Democrats will charge forward with their own investigation efforts and assist the public in understanding the work left to be undone, such as time as the committee is willing to or unable to undertake its oversight responsibilities. The report states that at least 30 key witnesses have yet to be interviewed. Really? That's what they say. See, the 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 Republican or the Senate is still, they're going at this. The Senate's going after it. Mueller, but, I, but the Republicans in the House were they're done. done. Well, they're done. The they're, Democrats are like, there's still more to do. There's still a lot more here. Many of the people that have been indicted have not been in, uh, have not been interviewed by the Republicans. By the way, did you hear how many years Manafort could get? I saw like 350. That's a whoa. That's a lot of years. <laughs> I think, yeah. Will they just leave him in there? For well, 350, or do you think they... I think what they do is they throw as many charges as, at him that they can, and then he'll probably 
settle and maybe he's going to court. But you don't usually want to risk 350. Imagine how much Netflix you could get caught up, though, in 350 years. I don't know. You probably still couldn't see all of it. And I don't know that they have (laughs) access to Netflix. I don't know. They may. He may go to one of these Club Med type places. Instead yeah, of like, you know, I still real don't prison. think they may have access to Netflix. Really? They may. I mean, they, they'd have TV. You could watch oh. whatever's on, you know, television. I don't know. Whatever's considered humane treatment nowadays. Yeah. I just meant you in the general oh. you sense. Yeah. We're, he's being well represented on the show today. General you. Yeah. Ah, general. What a great general. Nice helmet. Uh, YouTube said on Tuesday it would begin displaying information from Wikipedia and other websites on some videos on the platform as part of an effort to push back against hoaxes and conspiracies that appear on the site. Hoaxes? Hoaxes. Is hoaxes the plural of hoax? Yes. Hoax? Hoaxes. Hoaxem? Hoaxy? So what do you think about using Wikipedia as your source for information? Well, I guess it beats... Nothing? Nothing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, at least you'd get more information, but it, it's better to me. It seems better than nothing. The information would show up next to videos that appear to question historical events or scientific truths. Yeah, like the moon landing never happened. Well, actually, on Wikipedia. Yeah, it seems like you'd want to verify truth with actual truth. And Wikipedia is not always known for being fully factual. It is a publicly edited website. Yeah. So which anybody means in the public. In there, they in there but usually they have an overseer, right, that would say, yeah, yeah that's not true. Well, mostly the overseer is uh, they're alerted when there's a lot of activity on a specific page. Yeah. And then they got to go in and come. Yeah. And then they got to figure out if there's any problems and who by is the way, it. By the way, we need an overseer. Do we? Show. Okay. I'll find one. Yeah. I'll put in a, a put request. Out, put out a request. Uh, the streaming service uh, is in its early stages of developing what it hopes to be a sharp, balanced news story. This is Netflix, by the way. Okay. They're yeah. going to have a news program on Netflix. No. The Why? TV, a TV executive who recently collaborated with Netflix on a documentary series said the streaming giant is planning a weekly news magazine no. to rival longstanding no. network shows like CBS's 60 Minutes no. and 2020 on I ABC. I say we rebel against it, and instead you go to one of the other uh, options because let's not let that channel or any of those channels be ruined by news. And it says Netflix has spotted a hole in the market for current affairs TV show. No. Like apparently there isn't one out there that you can watch. Can't they just focus more on getting our favorite shows out more frequently like yes. the next season? Yes, I agree. It's a travesty. <laughs> so Netflix does not need news. No. No. Netflix Netflix needs more flicks. Now this bit of news I was really happy to to read. Unlike paintball and airsoft which boast elaborate battlefields and competitive leagues, most Nerf wars are ad hoc. And yeah. confined to the basement, backyards, or the break room if right. you use them at work. You hide behind couches and blankets, and there are a few places where a group of kids or office mates can go and engage in the day of competitive foam dart fighting. That may be about to change. <gasps> a National Blaster League is reported in the works and hopes to debut in cities across the country. The later NBL? This year. The NBL. National Blaster League. Details remain scant, but the league is the brainchild of the folks behind uh, 
Playview Brands Battle Bunkers, a line of inflatable battlefield obstacles. Okay, so they're trying to use their, yeah. find a way to use their product. So they got like oil, oil barrels, wood crates, jumbo tires, concrete blocks that can mm. be stacked together to create fighting positions or fortified yes. hiding spots. A four-pack of uh, these obstacles are made out of PVC, feature dual cavity design so you can fill the bottom with water to weigh them down so they won't blow away in the wind, right? So you That's might, great, yeah. Uh, they're, they're all, they, so basically, they want to make a game uh, league, competitive league, where you run around and shoot each other with dart guns. Now, would, the, but these, would these be like competitive dart guns? Like these aren't just your typical Nerf gun that the spring eventually doesn't load right. Right, and, or and the, darts, the darts don't have the right suction yeah. so they don't fire as well. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I think the only way this could possibly work is if you make sure that when you get hit, the dart sticks and it makes that pop sound. Because there's always that fight. You didn't get me. Yeah, you did. No, it you did not even hit me. Well, I told you what my experience. There's a, a local mall that had a, a, a company that did this. Yeah. And it's basically like paintball but with darts. Yeah. And we go in there, we had probably like 50 people in the room, and you got kids from ages like five up to, oh, there was like a 50-year-old guy running around, and just all these adults and kids, and I, I shot so many five-year-olds with darts. It yeah. was so fun. And, so just- And your son. And my son, the, the kid down the street that's annoying. You shot everybody. <laughs> it was great. But, but I don't, it seems like to me, you'd do better to just make it paintball. Because they already have a paintball well, league, and paintball, those, those guys are bad to the bone. Paintball hurts. Yeah, the, so does, does the NFL. Darts don't really hurt. But if we're gonna have a if we're gonna have a professional, you know, league, mm. it's got to be legit. It can't just be your dart stuck me. Mm. It's got to be like, ow! By the that way, hurt. you ever been okay. shot in the neck with a paintball? You mean this week? <laughs> I was shot in the neck, and it was a blind shot. My brother, I had my brother in plain sight, and when he saw me, he very uh, wimpishly turned around and made a noise that sounded like, ah! and he just started shooting. He got me right in the neck. So in his wimpish turn shot, he took you out. Yes, and I had to go to work right after that, and I worked at In-N-Out Burger. So you can imagine the questions that I got, yeah. not oh, even from my coworkers, got, yeah. but from like customers that are complete strangers. Oh, that's a wicked hickey you got there. It's a paintball. My brother hit me with a paintball. Yeah, sure oh, he okay. did. Okay, you think that's bad? Try living in the 80s when paintballs, I think, paintball I lived in the 80s. were invented, and I'm sitting in choir class, and the guy next to me pulls a gun out of his bag. What? A and paintball I, gun? Yeah, this is all true. And I'm like, what the? I go, is that a gun? He's like, yeah. And he aims it at my foot. Oh. Shoots it. And I get hit from two feet away right in my foot. And red paint sprays everywhere. I thought my foot had exploded. See, the, Hurt. I had a bruise for years. The foot would be worse because at least with the neck, you've got some, you've got some neck more fat. neck fat. fat. Yeah. On the foot. There's really nothing. No. It's nothing. your bones and that's it. And he had a gun in class. That's just messed. That he didn't get beginning. sent home or suspended no. or anything like that? No. Funny guy, by the wow. way. Wow. He's a guy, too. Just a little side note for everybody that's uh, keeping score. He could put his entire fist in his mouth. Whoa. I once had a roommate's girlfriend uh, enter my room with like a very solemn look on her face, raise an airsoft gun and shoot me right in the arm at point blank range. That hurt. 
A lot of people wanted to shoot you for some reason. I don't get it. I think I do. I think I'm an easy target. It's that neck fat. <laughs> um, okay. Straight ahead, we're going to be talking about maybe some ways to lose that neck fat. Uh, Karen Mangum is going to be joining us talking about lower cholesterol or how to lower your cholesterol without drugs. Our favorite uh, nutritionist straight ahead. You're this is the monster. Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. If you're battling uh, higher cholesterol and you're trying to find a way to lower your cholesterol without drugs, listen up, my friends. We've got a true uh, a, a true gift for you today. Um, our guest is Karen Mangum, and she is um, a licensed registered dietitian, seasoned recipe developer, flu- food blogger, and a nutrition consultant. She's the author and producer of Inside Karen's Kitchen, which is a healthy food blog. You can find it at the website insidekarenskitchen.com. She's also the mother of a lot of wonderful children, uh, BYU students as well. Uh, Tanner Mangum, uh, the BYU quarterback, happens to be her son as well. But uh, Karen is the bomb, and today she's going to lower our cholesterol. How are you, Karen? Good to have you. How are you, man? It's nice to hear you. Good to good to hear you again. I love learning from you and doing whatever I can to get just a little healthier every day. Talk about cholesterol. I mean, you you have specialized in helping people after gastric bypass surgery, right? To 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 maintain right. their diet. Um, and oftentimes, these individuals have high cholesterol or have problems yeah. with heart disease. And guess what? I I am not immune. Just recently, I've been diagnosed with an elevated LDL. Oh, really? The, the lousy component of cholesterol. And although my HDL, which is the happy component of cholesterol, is is moderately high and so that's somewhat protective, I still have to worry about getting that LDL down. So this article, uh, although written for everybody, is actually written for me because I want to try to lower my cholesterol without having to go on to drugs yeah. with all of their um, nasty side effects. So um, this, this is this is real to me, too. Yeah. No, and I, I love that you tell us that because a lot of times we just think Karen's probably perfect. She, she has <laughs> oh, like yes. she has oh, Karen yeah, has no me. plaque in her arteries. Yep. yep none. <laughs> Not like They're the rest clear, of us. Clear as, you know, it's funny. Pipes probably because I'm getting older. But it also has some genetic patterns. My 33-year-old son, so Tanner's older brother, Parker, also just recently told me his LDL is a little elevated. Uh. And he's a guy who's super fit, super, um, you know, active. Um, His diet probably could be better, but all of our diets could be better. Oh, yeah. we have to pay attention. No, totally. Talk to us about what we can do. I mean, what are the steps okay. to lowering uh, cholesterol? Because, again, a lot of us, I think we would do a little bit, but then just take the drugs and feel really good about yeah. ourselves. But well, we, you and, can and do you more. Can, you can do that, and the drugs are very effective in getting your cholesterol down. But um, probably, uh, based on some of my research, I'm looking at um, Harvard uh, Medical School, the Pritikin Longevity Center, 
Dr. Dean Ornish work where he has actually reversed heart disease with mm. his um, very, very rigid, strict um, diet plan. So one of the first things that we can do, and I like to focus on things that you can do that you can add to your diet first before we talk about what to take away. Right. So the first thing we need to do is add more fiber, the big F. Yeah. The fiber, and honestly, we just don't get enough because we don't eat a lot of fruits and vegetables, and that's where we're going to get most of our fiber. We also can get that from uh, beans and legumes, adding black beans, pinto beans um, to soups and salads and stir fries. Uh, anything, anywhere we can add beans is a good thing. And not only does it help our hearts, but it's also cancer prevention too. So really? beans have multiple, multiple value. You 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 call it B Y O B B. Yeah, either that, or you could call it B O B B Y, Bobby. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. Beans, oats, berries, barley, and yams. So beans, oats, berries, barley, and yams. So Bobby. Yeah, a good little acronym. That's easy to remember. Yeah. So, and lots of good recipes on the website at Inside Karen's Kitchen that use those. Uh, ingredients, and we find, you know, lots of good ways to do that in dips and salads, and um, I've got a yummy quesadilla with black beans and roasted butternut squash. Oh, wow. So those are good things, too. That sounds good. So uh, pump up the fiber, fiber fiber-rich foods. Pump up the fiber. That's number one. Okay. And then let's talk about number two. Um, This is the where we have to take away. We're going to take away and limit your intake of foods full of saturated fats, trans fats, and dietary cholesterol. There's still a little controversy about, you know, um, the different types of saturated fat, but primarily found in very high-fat dairy foods and meats, uh, particularly red meat, um, whole milk, whole premium ice cream, Things that you know we love, and even cheese. I hate to say it, oh, but um, not I know, cheese. cheese. So it just means really cutting back on some of those things, like not having them that often. Um, it doesn't mean we can't eat them. So I have a little under my meal planning tips on the website. I have a little recommendation: choosing non-fat or low-fat dairy foods, like low-fat yogurts, cottage cheese, even part skim milk cheeses, like. String cheese, feta is a part skim. You can buy it reduced fat. Parmesan is a part is a part skim, as well as um, skim. Uh, sorry, Swiss. So, a couple servings a day on the dairy, and then limiting our meat, poultry, and fish, and eating primarily poultry and fish, four to six ounces a day. And for a lot of men, that's not a lot of, of protein. No, but, um, that is really all we need to get enough protein because then you're going to add more in the form of vegetables and beans to get to make up for that um, what you might not be getting in the large portion larger portions of the meats. Dr. Dean Ornish would suggest going plant-based only hmm. and it's a very rigid approach but it is an approach that has been very effective um, just focusing mostly on uh, fruits and vegetables, beans and grains. Boy, it really. Uh, then, but you know what? Yeah. I, I'm looking at it, Karen, and, and I think that everybody you, they've got to go to the website insidekarenskitchen.com because you, mm-hmm. you give them you, you give them 
the recipe. You give them options, yeah. and it's uh-huh. like just hearing like that. I've got to get rid of you know meat or 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 have less intake of meat and poultry and fish. I don't know exactly what I would replace it with, but when I go to your site, I'm like, oh, uh-huh. I could do that. I can do that. I can do that. A dish that I love so much, it's called spring vegetables and feta quiche with quinoa crust. So you use a quinoa for the base of the crust, and then you fill it with um, mostly egg whites, but a yolk uh, along with there. And then the uh, spring vegetables like um, yellow squash and asparagus and mushrooms and green onions. And it makes, in fact, I'm going to make that for a bridal shower brunch this coming weekend. Oh, wow. It's very, very tasty. It's very pretty, too. If you want to, if you want to just send that down to Salt Lake, I'd (laughs) I'd go pick it up for you. Yeah, we could do that. (laughs) I I could. I'll be down there pretty soon. I'm going to come down again. Yeah. Come down and visit and just bring some of that spring stuff. No, don't worry about yeah. it. Yeah, good food. Good food. It sounds really good. So um, uh, another one that you're talking about, though, is we uh-huh. got to get rid of the saturated fats, but eat more foods high in monosaturated. Correct. This is a really good news is that we can add these delicious monounsaturated fats. And honestly, there's been so much emphasis on the avocado, salmon, olive oil, nuts, and seeds. Those are the primary monounsaturated fats. And um, so when you go out to eat, I, I have to admit, I'm, I'm very much looking for the salmon. I don't always eat salmon here at home as much as I should. Yeah. So when I go out to eat, I'm looking for, you know, the salad with the salmon or the, um, the grilled salmon. Um, and, and it always tastes better when somebody else cooks it anyway. <laughs> yep. But uh, for some reason. Anyway, those are things, even sharing a half an avocado occasionally um, on a salad or spread it onto a piece of whole grain bread uh, with a little bit of chopped tomato. That's a delicious morning meal. Mm. Um, yeah. So uh, adding more of those monounsaturated fats. Number four is sort of one of those unfortunate things that Americans just really, really struggle with. And this is cutting back on refined sugar and grains. So what we're talking about is um, white flour, white rice, uh, lots of snack foods, crackers, chips, donuts, um, potato chips. I said that. Um, oh, candy. that's my diet. I, oh, ah, no. Okay. No, oh, you got to do okay. it. So. I know you do, because what happens is sugar causes a rise in your blood insulin. And part of insulin's job not only is to take that sugar out of the cells, but in the meantime, it takes that sugar and stores it as fat. So that's clogging arteries. And so the less extra insulin that we require, the less fat we're going to store. And so keeping blood sugar steady throughout the day is one of should be one of our big goals. So if you're going to have a sweet, one of my suggestions is to eat it with a meal so that you can delay the absorption of that sugar um, from the protein and the fat in the meal. Oh, interesting. And, okay, yeah. Yeah. So, and even if it's just a bite or two, at least you get a taste. And um, Because I'm sure at this bridal shower, for example, on Saturday, there's going to be some goodies. And uh, But if we can balance it with... Um, the other foods, I think we'll, we can feel okay about having a bite or two. And if you've yeah, already yeah. eaten, you may not eat as much. I've noticed That's I don't eat true. a full dessert if I've had a meal. That's a really good point. 
And the last thing that I talk about, number five, is increasing plant sterols and stanols. And another name for those are phytosterols. And these are naturally occurring substances found in plants that actually have um, the ability to remove cholesterol from um, the body. It kind of mimics cholesterol and, um, and therefore takes some of the cholesterol with it. So it sort of drags it through, much like fiber does, much like soluble fiber grabs that cholesterol and drags it through the intestinal tract so it doesn't absorb. You, uh, ideally, we want to get about 1,500 to 2,000 milligrams of phytosterols a day. The average American is only getting about 250. Mm. So we're way below what's recommended. Now, you can talk with your um, healthcare provider about this, but there are supplements that you can take um, that help do this. And so you just, and and unfortunately, what's happened as well is the food uh, marketing companies are adding phytosterols to foods, but they're adding it to things like cookies. Oh, boy. And, you know, making them look better than they really are. So I would avoid all of those. Um, in fact, you'll see them in margarines, you know, added phytosterols. So um, I would avoid those and I would go straight to the supplement phytosterol. Um, and this is something that I actually haven't um, tried for myself yet, but I think that might be one of my next steps it's- because I do eat really well, yeah. but this is the one thing I haven't done. So I think I might give this a try. Well, and I guess because I can see you doing everything and then still just having a genetic uh-huh. component. Yeah. And right. then then you just deal with that. And you know what? My husband is that way. He has a strong family history of heart disease, grandfathers, mm. mothers, uh, uncles. And uh, so he himself is on a statin. But um, he doesn't mean he has he can eat whatever he wants. He's very diligent about right. eating a good, heart healthy diet as well. Hey, by the way, yeah. I don't know if you know this, but today is Registered Dietitian Day. No, today's yeah. your day. Today's happy my day. Happy day. <laughs> Thank you. Happy RD Day. Uh, you know what? We, we need to get you. We need to get you something for RD Day. What does one get a registered dietitian? I suppose a, a big bouquet of fruits and vegetables. Oh, there you go. I don't know. No, what that's, you get? That's a great idea. Or like a re- just just maybe I don't know some measuring cups, some something that really says, "Hey, make me hey, something I to love eat." You. That's, I, I love, love you. you. That's right. Well, you're the best RD I know. I oh, I, I wish you. you lived closer because then I could just you know start. You you ought to open a restaurant. Off. I could be well, I could be your neighbor and I'd bring you fruits and vegetables and we'd make this spring quiche. I'm, no, you just want me to make it and bring it to you. Oh, That's what you want. It was so I, I would really appreciate that. I've well, been looking I at the spring doing... quiche and it does look with the quinoa crust. Honestly, yeah. it looks so good. Good, I know. So I've started doing some weekly menus. Everyone should pay attention. I'm on every Monday. I put on a weekly menu with five different. Um, dinner ideas for the week, and uh, this week we're working on pretty much green food to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. There you go. Um, yep. So that's good. Oh, well, yeah. you're the best, Karen. We appreciate you being with us. And uh, you're welcome. Glad to be with you, Matt. Good to see you. Happy RD Day, Registered Dietitian <laughs> Day. And InsideKaren'sKitchen.com is the website. Go check it out. You'll get her recipes. Really, if you just go. 
you could go do one of these recipes. Just go find one and as a family, make that one recipe. And just start feeling good about doing the little that we can all do. I love it. Karen Mangum's her name. Karen, InsideKarensKitchen.com is her website. We'll continue uh, doing what we can and celebrating not just Registered Dietitians Day, but today's also Pie Day 3.14, right? 3.14. And we're going to visit our good friends at BYU Sports Nation, see what's coming up in their uh, neck of the woods. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends. It's time to go visit our good brethren at BYU Sports Nation and find out what is coming up on their show today. Hello, gentlemen. Hi, Matt. Hi, Matt. How are you guys doing? Great. Tournament game day for BYU basketball. Wow. We've already got our animal sound out of the way, so you can uh, check that off your bingo box. Oh, was, was that an animal sound? Mm-hmm. Was that a, was that a cougar? Animal! <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now we've got our cartoon character yeah. out of the way. And our Sesame our, Street yeah, character Sesame Street, yeah. and our animal sound. Um, can you guys do a sound for me for um, pie day? For pie day? Yeah. Mmm, delicious. <laughs> I like the pie. Is it National Pie Day? Today's National Pie Day. What's your favorite four. type of pie, Matt? <sighs> apple, sour cream apple. Sour cream apple? Mmm. Interesting. interesting. Wow. Now, it's a weird I, one, but it's so good for your belly. I normally would say, okay, that, that's kind of weird, but have you ever had German pancakes, like true German pancakes? Yes. They use sour cream. Yes. To juxtapose the... Mm, that's is good. Syrup and the powdered sugar, yeah. and the, you put on fresh strawberries. Uh-huh. It is amazing. Oh yeah, uh-huh. uh huh. And then you put a little uh, brown sugar on it. Yes, no it's brown a, it's sugar. A, it's amazing, amazing. <laughs> German pancakes look like an accident. No, yeah, it looks yeah. You know, in your oven, you're like, oh man, this exploded in there. Yes. Something's yes. Not no, no, no. It's supposed to look that way. Yeah. Oh, it's Mount St. Helens post eruption, <laughs> but it's yellow. Yeah. That's the Northwest in you. Yeah. Bringing out the old Mount St. Helens. Oh, dude. When I was 11, I could look on a clear day, and I could see Mount Hood in Oregon and Mount St. Helens in the <gasps> same view. clear it was so day. Volcano City, man, or state, I guess. Yeah, that's... Oregon and Washington. It's crazy how many volcanoes. I'm not sure there is a prettier drive in the continental United States than when you leave Portland and you are driving towards Idaho. Oh, yeah. Along the, the Columbia, Columbia River. River. That is a, that's amazing. And Sturgeon. And then you get pulled over in Bend. Yes. Because that's how they fund everything yes. in the city. And then you're in jail. <laughs> yeah, those uh, are good days. Don't ask about my $400 hey, sp- ticket. Speaking of volcanoes, um, how's tonight going to go? Uh, on the farm at Stanford? Yeah. Can the, can the this Cougars isn't even pull this up. out? I feel like BYU's going to erupt for 80-plus. Now, the wow. last time they played there, yeah. the Brighamites and the uh, Farmites, uh, 112-103 BYU win I don't see it playing out that high scoring No Because BYU plays defense more We're going to break that down uh, Two and a half point line Stanford by two and a half Really? Stanford's a three seed BYU's a six seed It's been all chalk Meaning all the higher seeds won yesterday in this tournament So if BYU wins They're going to play a road game at Oklahoma State Huh? Cool. Uh, so, so we'll see We'll see how this plays out. I, I think it's a pretty even matchup, a fun one. Reed Travis is a tremendous player for Stanford. Yoli Childs, Elijah Bryant for BYU. 
I'm I'm excited to watch this one. I like oh, it. and Matt is Yoli Childs leaving early what? for the NBA? What he said the other Interesting. day. You'll talk about that on the show. We'll talk about good. Mm-hmm. Talk about good. That's good. Okay, so that that's that's a good show already. Is there anything else that you could even try to fit in that show? Nit mascots, real or fake? Yeah, we're gonna play that game. Uh, <laughs> why Taysom Hill is the most popular third string quarterback of all time? What's the chance BYU starts a freshman this fall at quarterback? Mm-hmm. And the Nit rules uh, that we want to see permanently put in college basketball. They're gonna have four or five different rules tonight. Like, give us a taste of what's uh, a different three-point line. Back about a foot and a half, uh, widen the lane from twelve to sixteen. Four quarters instead of two halves. And then when you get an offensive rebound, reset the shot why, clock to twenty. Help me understand 30. why the NIT would choose to because change the NIT all the rules. is like a stepbrother. Like it kind of counts. Is it like where they test everything? Well, Are they you testing want, yes, you yes. want eyeballs. You yes. want eyeballs on your product as well. So it's like, yeah. hey, we've got something different than everybody else. We're weird. Sure. Watch this. Yes. You know what? I've told yes. you a million times. Put one alligator on the court. <laughs> that would certainly spice it up. Seriously, it would change the whole thing. Gator ball, gator ball. Um, gator hey, ball. by the way, speaking of um, speaking of a fun game, have you guys heard of the new idea about the National Blaster League? No, let's hear it. It's a foam dart league where you it's National Blaster League, and it's like it's like Nerf darts, but it would be a professional kind of level Nerf dart game. Do you think Nerf dart is? Can go to the professional level, or would that is that already really just paintball? That's a uh, I don't, I, I don't like see it, this happening outside of Nickelodeon in the nineties. I really don't. You don't see it, huh? No, sorry. That's kind of sad. Yeah. Would you rather play a paintball competitive paintball game when or you could Nickelback? Where, where you could really be hurt with Nickelback on your team, <laughs> not a, not as your enemy on your team, or would you rather play a Nerf ball or Nerf dart game? I'd rather play Gator Ball, frankly. Yeah, I would too. Brings Frankly, back my memories. dear, I don't give a gator. <laughs> Glad you cleaned that up. All right. Well, so, okay. You guys. We got a lot going on. It's a got, busy one. I'm going to let you go then. It's and game I'm gonna, day. I'm gonna, it's game oh, day. Oh, and one picks. We've made picks all season. Uh, Spencer's got a five point lead. The max you can uh, jump somebody is three points. So, he, so this could be it. If you lose tonight, he's, he's already won. I need BYU to win. I hope it's not wrapped up tonight. I know. I want to run. For BYU. What, Much what, as I, I don't love like, beating Jerem. What do you win if you if you take Jerem out here? Uh, nothing, but no room in the budget. Oh. Yeah. Well, you could just shave his I mean, head. Maybe we should put a meal I know on it's quarter something. one, but uh, <laughs> we have no room in the budget. Yeah. It's Q1. Um, okay, darn it. I, I think you guys – I don't think I'd play games like this unless they're – you need something to win, something big. Yeah, Yeah. good point. I don't I, know. I'm just Round thinking – golf or something. Yeah, maybe – yeah. I mean – I think you'd get more listeners and viewers. Yeah. Betting money, like, okay, you know, that's no, questionable. Yeah, not money. Uh, but... Betting anything else. Yes. Uh, no, that's fine. Yeah. See? <laughs> you, you've got I a always good... love that double standard. Yeah, it's a great triple right. double mm-hmm. standard. Oh, we bet ice cream. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> we, don't, we don't gamble, but we do bet ice cream. That's good. We don't gamble, but we bet. What? We, huh? Well, guys, have a great show. I can already tell it's going to be a good one, and you're locked and loaded. Uh, That's uh, Spencer and Jerem, BYU Sports Nation. Again, they're on it. And it's got to be nerve-wracking to know you've got to win tonight with all these changed rules. These guys have played an entire year with one set of rules. Then they go to the NIT, and they've got to play a whole new set of rules. Will you be watching? Tonight, I won't be. 
because hmm. I am going to be buying a suit. I'm in desperate need of suits. Is this the white suit that you were talking about earlier? Yes. And then you're going to you're stopping uh-huh. by KFC and getting a bucket of chicken, right? And you're getting the uh, the southern tie. No, no, because you're no. We've talked a lot on the show about men dressed in white. Mm-hmm. Uh, Boss Hog, the Colonel, the Colonel, Colonel Sanders, uh, Mr. Rourke from Fantasy Island, mm-hmm. and Colonel Steubing. Who uh, or Captain Steubing? Yes, from the Love Boat. Mm-hmm. All men dressed in white, and I grew up with these men in white, and so and then other men in white that you know from other you know parts of my life. But I, so tonight I'm buying a white suit, okay, and other suits. I'm buying multiple suits, and I'm buying my son some suits. I've got two sons that need suits. Suit night. Hmm. So I won't be watching the game. I'll I'll, I'll be watching the tail end of the game. In white suits. Well, you're not a true fan. Oh, hold on. You're not watching the game. Says who? Your wife. I now have YouTube TV, so I have access to these games, whereas before, ESPNU? That's not a channel I had me? access to. ESPN me? No. You? The general you. Yeah, the general you. Great general, by the way. Um, all right. Four stars. Four stars. It is Pi Day, 3.14 day. Uh, again, I'm not a mathematician, so we didn't make a big deal about that. We did lose a mathematician, actually a physicist, that we, we didn't talk as much as we probably needed to. We talked about it in the first hour. Stephen, uh, the brilliant scientist Stephen Hawking died at 76 years of age. I think it's a loss, major loss. Stephen says he's done everything he could have done, and Terry, you know. Took me on on that one. Forget, I mean, forget about his physical uh, restrictions. Yeah, this guy accomplished a lot uh, just for a person in general. That even if he didn't have the physical restrictions, he would have accomplished a lot. No, absolutely. But again, this is I, I'm the guy that had plantar fasciitis once, and it, it impacted me a lot. So I can't imagine having a debilitative disease like ALS and how much that would impact. Even if you can think straight and clear, it still takes energy. It takes a lot more energy to get something done. It's hard stuff. Let's get to our hero story. A nine-year-old South Carolina boy is being hailed as a hero after saving a man who's being crushed by his car. Alan Clemens was working on his Mustang in his backyard on Saturday. When he attempted to remove the transmission, the car slid off the blocks and the jack holding it uh, up and fell on top of him. For the next 90 minutes, he called out for help. That's when Malachi Coffee ran over and used the jack to lift the car. I think he was staying uh, or saying he was stuck under uh, something, but I didn't know what he was talking about, said Coffee. After relieving Clemens of the weight of the car, Malachi ran back to his aunt's house to get help. Onlookers were able to use another jack to completely free Clemens from underneath the car. He says he's lucky to be alive. I don't know uh, how he did it. He jacked that car up completely off of me, and uh, he's now my guardian angel. I don't know if I could have survived another 30 minutes. So he saved his life. How cool is that? A nine-year-old Alan Clemens, hero of the day, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. And that's the show for us, doing what we can to help you live longer, love stronger, and lead a healthier life. We will be back again tomorrow. Uh, But uh, stick with BYU Broadcasting because BYU Sports Nation is up next.